There's the flip. Welcome in to another edition of Trey and BK live on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Shout out to my man, Mike Harge, for a great Monday program. We're having some fun today, celebrating the Longhorns' massive road victory over Alabama. I've been on cloud 10 ever since that game went final on Saturday night. I don't think I'm coming down any time soon. Trey, I've got to give you some love, man. You are on fire with your picks here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Last Thursday, you said the Detroit Lions were going to go into Kansas City and upset the defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs. And then during our pregame show on Saturday and during our show on Friday, you said not only is Texas going to beat Alabama, but Texas is going to beat Alabama by multiple scores. And sure enough, you were absolutely right, my friend. Congrats to you and thank you uh, for your service. Very happy to have been right there, BK. And what's the old saying? Even a blind squirrel occasionally grabs a hold of some nuts and puts those nuts in their mouths and gets a nice little meal. That's apparently what has happened these uh, this last week or so now. But I felt like this game would go one way or the other. It wouldn't be a close game again. It would either be Alabama reasserting its authority or this Texas football team figuring it out. And the more I thought about what we should expect out of both, including Quinn Ewers, a guy who has obviously been very up and down in his time here, playing his best football when the lights were brightest. Ultimately, I felt good about the Longhorns making a huge statement in Tuscaloosa on Saturday night, and sure enough, they did. Every once in a while, a blind squirrel busts his nut. I think that's the line you're looking for. I don't know what you're talking about over there. No, not to steal your bit, but I believe it was Nikola Tesla who first said that back in the late 1800s. <laughs> oh, the guy who invented the electric car? Exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think I have that The electric right. car, first guy to get man in outer space. I mean, he was an impressive dude, that Nikola Tesla. Uh, the first guy to bust his nut in outer space, Nikola Tesla? I thought that was Lance Armstrong. <laughs> Who do you think the real first uh, person or maybe creature to make that happen would have been? Because they were sending dogs and monkeys into outer space before they were ever sending humans just to make sure that humans could handle it. I'm assuming that one of those monkeys or one of those dogs busted a nut while they were up there. Had to be done, right? There's there's no way Buzz Lightyear or whatever the hell his name was, was the uh, first guy to get that done. Well, they've mm. definitely done research on humans having sex in space. The not few times because it happens fairly frequently now, sending humans into space, that is, but they have looked into sexual activity and how space impacts that. Hold on now. There's a rabbit hole to be going in after today's show. I probably shouldn't, but what a start. You think outer space sex is overrated, underrated, or properly rated? I don't even know how it's rated. I feel like people would think that SpaceX is even better because of the lack of gravity, but that could also become problematic too, not only during the act, but how do I put this gently? At the conclusion of the act? Because fluids don't stick to things in space. Mm -hmm. Fluids just kind of float around. Well, I'm worried that you and the partner become separated, and how do you get back together, you know? 
Like that's that's that, the like, issue. Thing, that zero gravity swimming thing where you get back together and then you, you know, you just kind of grab her and get the, you know, get the 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 crotches back in line, you know? Stay seated, please. We don't we <laughs> standing up and showing your crotchal area to uh to our great people too did right now. Oh, DK, it touched the microphone. Oh, my God. What a start. What a start. Four minutes in, and we're off the rails. We'll have plenty of fun. Hell, every Longhorn fan is having some fun today. We'll dive into this Texas-Alabama game from every angle. We'll talk about the Cowboys' big win on Sunday Night Football. We'll talk about C.J. Stroud's debut in Houston. And uh, as Harge alluded to at the end of his show, uh, some uh, of Texas's biggest rivals had some rough times this weekend, which I think makes Texas fans feel even better about what took place on Saturday night. But Texas gets the win 34 to 24, the final. Trey, some nuggets from what Texas was able to accomplish on Saturday night. Some of these have to do with the Longhorns, some of these have to do with Alabama. But just to put into perspective how big of a deal this Texas win was, here we go. It's the first win for Texas against a top three team since 2008. That game in Dallas against Oklahoma, the last time the Longhorns had beaten a top three foe. That win ended Alabama's 21-game home winning streak. That was the longest active streak in all of college football. That win also ended Alabama's 57-game regular season non-conference winning streak. The last time Alabama lost a non-conference game in the regular season was 2007. Steve Sarkeesian became the first former Nick Saban assistant to beat Saban in Tuscaloosa. He's only the third Saban assistant to ever beat Nick Saban, but Jimbo Fisher and Kirby Smart, they've never done it at Alabama. Steve Sarkeesian now has done it at Alabama. That was Nick Saban's first double-digit home loss since 2003. That is so ridiculous. Coaching LSU, and that was Alabama's first double-digit home loss since 2004. Four. So how's that for perspective? A pretty big freaking deal that Texas not only was able to win that game in Tuscaloosa on Saturday, but win it by double digits, Stripe. One other stat too, BK. Maybe this will be the step-off point for talking specifics here. And I got to give our guy Paul Wadlington of InsideTexas.com credit for this one. Look, you'll hear a lot about Quinn Ewers and his receivers over the coming days, as you should. Those guys played awesome. It was a team effort, though. There really wasn't any one person that you could lob heavy criticism at. There were little things here and there. We'll certainly talk about that throughout the course of the week. But everybody played well. But I need to start with this offensive line, which was obviously much blind after that Rice game, and understandably so. But what they were able to accomplish – at Bama in terms of protecting Quinn Ewers and giving him time to find open receivers is something to marvel at. According to Paul Wadlington, the Texas offensive line is the only group that has held Bama with zero sacks and less than three pressures since 2014. That's 125 games or so. Bama hasn't been held sackless. Hmm. Say that one three times since Clemson in 2018, which I believe was that national championship game. So this was an amazing pass blocking performance. Now there wasn't a ton of room to run and maybe a small part of that is the Texas offensive line. Part of that's the Bama defensive line and the linebacking core and just how good they are against the run too. But this Texas offensive line stepped up in a way where if they had not, the game probably looks very different. BK. 
Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about with somebody holding Bama's sack, but uh, yeah, it was a really, really impressive performance by this O-line. And look, nobody runs against Alabama. Like I, I'm not losing much sleep over Texas not being able to establish the ground game uh, as much as I'm sure Steve Sarkeesian would have liked. But to hold up in pass pro the way that they did for all four quarters of that game, and you're right. I mean, Quinn Ewers is the player of the game, of course. He's getting all sorts of love both locally and nationally, and he deserves every single bit of it. But he doesn't play the way that he plays without the offensive line protecting him the way that they protected him. They were awesome. They gave Quinn Ewers clean pocket after clean pocket after clean pocket. And it was just a total 180 from what we saw last week against Rice. Like, I don't think Texas fans were overreacting by the offensive line performance. Like, they were really bad. I mean, Ewers got sacked three times in the first half. I think he got hit like nine times over the course of that game against Rice. And it was so easy for me and a lot of Texas fans to be like, well, shit, if you look like that against Rice, how the hell are you going to fare against that Alabama defense? And it was just a total night and day change from the big uglies up front. That was the most dominant offensive line performance I've seen from the University of Texas maybe in the last 15 years, Trey. I mean, I'm serious. Like that, almost regardless of opponent, like if they would have played like that against Rice and given up those few zero sacks and two TFLs and only, what, six pressures, that would have been really, really impressive against Rice. But to do that on the road in Bryant-Denny Stadium against that Alabama team, incredibly impressive. So, yeah, Texas won. The battle of the line of scrimmage. It's as simple as that. They won in the trenches, both the offensive line and the defensive line. We can get more to the defense here a little bit later. But, uh, yeah, the offensive line basically had its way with that uh, Alabama defensive front. And based on what we saw against Rice, I I didn't think there was any chance it was going to go down like that. No, and considering that the whole games being won in trenches thing is not cliche. I know it gets thrown around a lot, but it is still very true too. So it hasn't lost its meaning. Texas showed that on Saturday because not only was their offensive line good, their defensive line, which everybody expected to be a strength in this game for the Longhorns, they came up to play as well. And that disparity right now, I think speaks to that double digit disparity in the game. The Texas defensive line gets five sacks on Jalen Milrow. Plenty of other moments where they could have had sacks, but Milrow was just a hard guy to bring down at times. We talked about that last week, but five more hits as he was throwing the football and he got pressured double digit times as well. So the defensive line will also not allowing a whole lot of running room, especially after the first quarter and a half or so when Bama was finding some success there, they were making life miserable for Jalen Milrow forcing him into a couple of bad throws that did ultimately turn into turnovers too. Now, Jalen Milrow made some plays with his legs. He had some nice throws with his arm too, but something else that we really have to give this Longhorn team credit for, BK, is they showed a resilience that Steve Sarkeesian has been preaching all offseason now. He has talked about taking team's best shots and getting back up and responding in kind. The pivotal moment in the game on Saturday, in my opinion, was when Jalen Milrow found, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to remember the Bama receiver's name, but he found his Bama receiver uh, about 40 yards downfield, 30 yards downfield for a touchdown, where Jaron Thompson just gets turned around and burned as a result. It's kind of an understandable play, even though he maybe needed to backpedal another step or two before turning that very first time. But how did Texas respond as a team? Well, they responded with a very quick touchdown by the Texas offense and that very next offensive possession. They get pressure on Milrow. He makes a terrible read on that play, although I guess Jaron Thompson was hidden a little bit by the line of scrimmage. But Jaron Thompson steps up, 
picks the pass off, takes it the other way, and gives that Longhorns offense another short field to work with. Trey, forget the next possession. It was the first offensive play that Bama run after that touchdown. Right. I mean, they it went touchdown, pick, touchdown. That was a three-play sequence. Texas scored 14 points in 15 seconds right after Alabama had taken its first lead of the game. That is absolutely getting up off the mat. And we played the uh, audio in our pregame show on Saturday. Shout out to Covert BK for hosting us once again. That was a ton of fun. Now, Steve Sarkeesian talked about not only landing punches against this Alabama team. He said jabs aren't enough. He said we need to land haymakers. That was a one-two, three-piece combo that Texas landed right at the start of the fourth quarter. I mean, that touchdown drive, three plays, 75 yards, took just over a minute. And then the very first offensive play for Alabama on their next series, you get the interception and a nice run back, and then boom, you hand it off to Jonathan Brooks, and he's into the end zone just like that. I mean, that you talk about haymakers, dude. People don't do that to Alabama anywhere, but especially not in that building. And that's what Texas did. I mean, they knocked. I know Bama came back and scored a touchdown and got right back into the game, but that was, you just don't see teams do that to that team ever. And you're right, without question, the turning point in that game. I'll be honest, Trey, I was nervous as hell when Alabama took that lead. And I'm like, ah, shit, here we go again. Like that meme from Grand Theft Auto. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, God, the dropped worthy touchdown. That hurts. Jonathan Brooks is dropped. That hurts. The missed side show Bob field goal. Like, we're better than them. We've been better than them, and now we're down by three, and we're going to lose this game because that's just what Texas does. That's what I was thinking. And I almost didn't have enough time to think like that because they marched down the field. You get that 50-yard pass to JT Sanders, and then boom, right after that, they're into the end zone. It's like, oh, no. Maybe this is different. Maybe this is different. And then the interception and then the touchdown, it's like, oh, my God, this is different. It really is different. There's something different about this Texas team this year. So just that sequence, you're dead on, man. You are dead on. Like, Texas teams in the past, they don't do that. They give up that lead. They don't get back up off the mat. Most teams at Bryant-Denny, they give up that lead. They don't get up off the mat. This Texas team got up in a huge, huge way and uh, delivered a couple of knockout blows right back to Alabama. Yes, they did. And uh, we also talked about in preseason about how this Texas receiving core really forced you to pick your poison, right? And the Texas receivers, I think they all uh, showed out really nicely in their own ways. In the first half, it was the Xavier Worthy show. Even with that drop, it would have been a touchdown. He bounced back in a major way by catching Quinn's first long touchdown pass. It was an impressive catch for him to hit the ground and hold on to the football. But I also loved how he gave a little bit of a kick to the Alabama defensive back, too, as he was hopping up to celebrate. But then in the second half, Alabama, they were putting more emphasis on stopping Worthy. So these other guys end up having huge halves and games as a result. That includes JT Sanders, A.D. Mitchell, of course, which all that guy does is catch touchdowns against Alabama, apparently. And then Jordan uh, Jordan Winnington had some nice moments, too. Also need to give a credit to the Longhorn running backs, even though it wasn't the best statistical game necessarily. C.J. Baxter ran hard, especially early on. You can tell that he is probably still laboring from that rib injury, shoulder injury, whatever it actually is. And then Jonathan Brooks, despite... Another drop on the same exact play as the Rice weekend, which was very frustrating. I think overall he had a really nice game too and was finding slivers 
to help continuing pushing the football forward when he was asked to run the ball. And by the way, he was a big reason why Texas was able to milk the clock at the end too, picking up that big first down on, I think it was a third and four or five. And uh, the Longhorns ultimately went from there. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan Brooks was huge on that final possession. Texas got the ball back with seven minutes and 14 seconds left. Alabama had all three timeouts. It was a 10 point game. And in years past, man, I, I, I couldn't help but think of the uh, Tom Herman, Iowa state debacle where Texas had a lead. They get the ball back with a chance to ice it with a couple of first downs. And what do they do? They go three and out, punt it right back to Iowa state and the Cyclones march down the field and kick a game winning field goal. Like my UTSD kicked in at that very, very moment. And this Texas team just proved that it was different. And it was a third and seven, by the way, like Sark had the Midas touch on Saturday, dude. Like, if that play call doesn't work, yeah. people are like, really? You ran the football there? But shoot, Alabama thought they were going to throw. Sark was so aggressive all night long. The announcers were talking about it. Like, they're going to throw it here on third and seven. And then they spread everybody out. Four receivers set. Just Jonathan Brooks. Hand off to him. And he picks up the first down to basically ice the game. Obviously, the dumb Alabama offsides penalty helped, too, Ooh, yeah. on the uh, following series. But, yeah, I mean, Jonathan Brooks was uh, was huge on that last drive. and. You know, there's not a lot of bad to talk about, but let's uh, let's not throw the ball to Jonathan Brooks anymore, please. I, I'm I'm done. Like de- design those plays to Keelan Robinson or C.J. Baxter or Jaden Blue because those are two touchdown drops for Jonathan Brooks through two games. He's a stud. He does a lot of other really good things. Well, you want to throw him a couple of screens? Fine, fine. But that that guy cannot be running routes and catching the ball down the field because he's 0 for two on those right now. Yeah, I feel like, and I don't remember if the Bama one was like this. I feel like it was, though, on a third down. But the Rice play was definitely on a third down, and they had to kick a field goal after that. Like, Keelan Robinson, theoretically, should be in at that point in time anyhow. Or maybe you give Jaden Blue a chance there. But it's time to give somebody else that opportunity to catch that swing pass because of the way Sark schemes it up. It's open for a touchdown against Rice. It's open for a touchdown against Bama. It'll be open for a touchdown against Wyoming, Baylor, Kansas, Oklahoma, and just keep naming the opponents down the schedule. Yeah, let's uh, let's try to hear from Steve Sarkeesian. When I was playing audio this morning, it was really screwed up. So since you have the ability to play audio, if it doesn't work for me, I might ask you to take the lead on uh, on some of these cuts. Sure. But it, it sounded like a comp- uh, James Earl Sarkeesian earlier today. I mean, just robot Sark was a part of the morning show today. Uh, let's see, because you brought up the deep shot, man. That was that's my favorite moment of the game, dude. It was the first touchdown Texas scored, and hell, they actually connected on another deep shot touchdown a little bit later in the game. Yeah. But the throw to Xavier Worthy, and it came right after the double pass, right? And I literally was telling the people I was watching with, I'm like, shit, Xavier Worthy just threw a better deep ball than Quinn Ewers has thrown in his entire career. Uh, that drew the pass interference penalty. Otherwise, I think it would have been a catch by A.D. Mitchell, but it's a great play call, and then Sark catches Alabama's defense napping a little bit, and finally Quinn Ewers connects with Xavier Worthy on a deep shot. And before we get to this audio, you look like you have something to say. Yeah, it was also poetic too, BK, because Quinn had missed his first deep shot. Yep. It, it Honestly, it looked like, I, f- I think it was A.D. Mitchell who was the receiver. A.D. Mitchell needed to cut that in a little bit more because Quinn was looking downfield afterwards. Like, why did you not do what I thought you were going to do? But then ESPN showed that stat, that very relevant stat, right, about how bad Quinn has been at throwing it 20-plus yards downfield since going to last season. One of the worst quarterbacks in all of college football 
Then he starts hitting the deep ball after that. So thanks for the reverse jinx there, ESPN. No kidding. Yeah, 0 of 7 last week against Rice on those deep shots. 3 of 5 with a couple of touchdowns on those deep balls on Saturday. It was glorious. All right, let's uh, let's see if this works. Here's Steve Sarkeesian after the game talking about finally connecting on some of those explosive plays. Hopefully you guys don't ask me about it for a while. Um, no, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. We have to hit them so you guys stop asking. But in the end, um, you know, as the game wore on, you could kind of feel some of the coverage going to Xavier, and that created some opportunities for JT, um, obviously um, AD, and then Jay Witt with a couple big plays in there. And, and uh, so to, to, to hit the deep ball early to Xavier and then to come back and get that deep ball to, uh, to AD for that, that long touchdown and then finding some of those intermediate throws to some different people. You know, JT made some, some really big plays and, as well as Jordan. So, um, you know, I think that that's what we have to get accustomed to. I talked about that to Xavier in the fourth quarter. He, he was recognizing the double coverage. I said, that's a good thing. That means the other guys are getting their one-on-ones and now they're making their plays. That sound okay? Yeah, did it sound okay on your ends? Yes, it did. Way better than uh, what we had this morning. And it was funny, this morning, like half the people would text in on our new text line, 512-222-9328, or comment on YouTube saying, yeah, no, it sounds great. And then the other half of the people were like, it sounds like shit, dude. And it's funny, because Bucky was like, dude, it sounds great. It's perfectly fine. What are you talking about? And I was like, oh, no, this sounds terrible. It was literally like a 50-50 split, like it was an election, or like it was the white and gold dress versus the black and blue dress. People like not being able to decide what it was. That's that's what we had with our audio this morning, but it sounded better on my end, so I think we're okay. Like it was the Cotton Bowl the first Saturday in October? There you go. There you go. Oh, that's going to be fun this year, isn't it? Hell yes, it is. That, that game's always fun, but... You're uh, the shit out of them again this year. Mark my now. Wow. Come on. Oklahoma's 2-0, and and they've got Art Bryles coaching them now, I think. I know. That would actually make a little bit make me a little bit more worried if he was the offensive coordinator, but we're going to win that game this year. I sure hope so. We definitely should win that game. Oklahoma is 2-0, and but they've played Arkansas State and SMU. Uh, they, they didn't play Alabama on the road like Texas did. So, yeah, the Longhorns will be favored in that one. Uh, that game should be a ton of fun. And with OU's cupcake schedule, there's a chance we're talking about two undefeated teams going into that uh, big matchup at the start of October. And CB, we're working on it. We are working on getting our pregame show on the fairgrounds, just outside the Cotton Bowl. I've got a phone call tomorrow, as a matter of fact, with uh, the folks up in Dallas to see if we can make that happen. But, uh, yeah, should be good. So, uh, back to this Texas game, and and Sark laid it out perfectly, and it kind of falls in line with what you were saying before we played that cut, Trey. Like, if you're able to connect on those deep shots, it just makes everything else so much easier as an offense. Like if Texas, if Quinn Ewers was like 0 for 4 on deep balls, then Alabama can bring its safeties down. They can load the box a little bit more to stop the run, and they can focus on preventing those short and intermediate throws that Ewers is so good at. But because they connected on that shot, I know they had a few, but that one early, that just instilled that seed of doubt in the Alabama safety's mind and in Nick Saban's mind like, oh, shit, maybe he's figured something out. I know what we saw on film with Quinn Ewers on these deep throws, but uh, maybe they found something. So you just have to respect that if you're an opposing defense, and they did, which opened up so many things in the Texas passing game as that game wore on. 
I'll tell you what he did to find Worthy after that first miss. The first miss was one of those low-line drives, and he's got such ridiculous arm strength that he can still push downfield like that. He tried to kiss the moon with that next ball that he hit Worthy on, and it turned out to be the perfect distance, I guess, to go along with that height because he did hit Worthy in stride and allowed him to make that acrobatic catch. So the next time we saw him throw down field like that, he threw it high once again, which I'm sure is something that Sark has been stressing to him to go along with trying to step into the throws a little bit more. It looked a little bit better on Saturday, but he's, still, he's just a guy who likes to throw off of his back foot. So when it works, I guess you accept that. But even that A.D. Mitchell touchdown, he put that one way up there too. Yeah, I, I thought it was beautiful, man. To me, everything about those throws were perfect. It was just nice to see them completed because I we hadn't seen that this year, and we didn't see it happen that often last year. Like you said, ESPN showed it. Quinn Ewers has been one of the worst deep ball throwers in college football since taking over at the start of last year. Uh, it was nice to see the tide turn, yes pun intended, uh, against the Crimson Tide on Saturday. Uh, what else should we get into from this game and the defense? We'll, we'll obviously get back into the offense. You brought up the defensive line and people keep calling it a front four. Dude, Texas has like a front seven or eight. Yeah. Like they, they can rotate guys. And Herbie was talking about this on the telecast. They can rotate guys and not have a big drop off in production. Like there have been years, Trey, where it's like Texas barely has enough starters on the defensive line that you feel good about. But now it's like, nah, you can you can sub out Byron Murphy and bring in Alfred Collins, and it doesn't feel like there's much of a drop-off. You can bring, uh, bring Vernon Broughton into the game, and it doesn't feel like there's much. Obviously, Anthony Hill, hello, welcome to college football. You bring him into the game, forget a drop-off. That might be an upgrade based on what we saw from that dude on Saturday. Like it's not just the starters who made some things happen Saturday night. It's the rotation guys too. That is a menacing, menacing group. They look great against Rice, but it was like, ah, it's Rice. Let's see it against a real dude. They had their way with that Alabama O-line on Saturday. Yeah, boy, Anthony Hill need to uh, pat us on the backs and other Longhorn folks as well who are clamoring for Pete Kwiatkowski to do what he is going to do with Anthony Hill early this season as he learns the ropes with the rest of the responsibilities at linebacker, and that is deploy him wisely. And so they did that on third and obvious passing down or maybe even second and obvious passing down situations. They would have him go after Milrow at times, like the heat-seeking missile that he is, but they also trusted him to spy Milrow. And even though he had a couple of true freshman moments where he gets sucked into the line a little bit by a false step or maybe a, a stutter step by Milrow, who then breaks towards the outside and towards the line of scrimmage, Anthony Hill has such ridiculous athleticism and speed that he was able to make up on that play and either stop him for a zero gain, a zero yardage gain, or a very minimal gain at that. So Kwiatkowski's game plan throughout the night to rattle Jalen Milrow, obviously worked to perfection. They had different guys spying Milrow. At times they were running a zone and making sure that the other defensive players, usually defensive backs, had their eyes going toward the line of scrimmage so they could help out if need be too. And that overall game plan worked marvels. And if there is a biggest reason to be confident in what Texas can accomplish the rest of the year, perhaps it's back to that pick-your-poison cliche but this Texas defense will keep the Longhorns in each and every game this season, even if the offense does struggle. It's an elite defense. It really is. And they were great last year. I mean, obviously a massive improvement 
going from year one to year two of the PK system. But, uh, yeah, they did a lot of good things last season. Only gave up 21 points per game. Uh, only gave up three and a half yards per carry. And it was like, okay, if they can just do that again this year, I would have been okay. I would have been satisfied if they were just as good in 2023 as they were in 2022. But they're better. I mean, they look significantly better than uh, than what they looked like last year. So you're right, man. This this group, it's special. And yeah, even if Quinn Ewers does have an off game, hell, we kind of saw that in week one. Like even if the offense sputters a little bit for a half of football, that defense is good enough to keep Texas in just about every single game they're going to play this season. That's uh, It's fun to watch, man. Years past, I, I just, I'm almost like, why am I watching? I should really turn off the TV when Texas is on defense because nothing good's going to happen here. Now you want to watch this defense go out there and feast because they've got some playmakers, and they all stepped up and made some plays Saturday night. So two guys that we thought Alabama might try to target throughout the course of the game that could be perceived weaknesses – within that Texas defense. Let's talk about them. Ethan Burke and David Benda. I, for one, thought Burke would get exposed a little bit more in this game, so I'm happy to eat crow and say that I was completely wrong about Ethan Burke and how he would show up in this game. More than held his own when Bama was running the football, but he also did a great job of getting pressure pressure and obviously a couple of sacks on Jalen Milrow when it was all said and done, too. So, Big tip of the cap for Ethan Burke, even though theoretically he may be a year away in terms of what that right size is for him to play that edge rusher position. He's got an active enough motor and a certain toughness about him right now that he is all of a sudden a huge positive for this Texas defense going forward. Yep, it was pretty cool to hear the uh, broadcasters rave about Ethan Burke too. I, I want Ethan Burke to be like a Colt McCoy, Jordan Shipley situation. You know, how, oh, their roommates and their dads were roommates and all that, that every – Texas fan and every college football fan heard every single time Texas played a game. I want to hear the Ethan Burke was an All-American lacrosse player in high school every single time Texas plays a game because you only get that treatment, number one, if you're really good. And uh, I think it's a cool story. And I think that athleticism was on full display because Bama, yeah, the offensive linemen are big as hell, but those dudes are freak athletes that they have on the offensive line. And you've got to be a freak athlete yourself to win against that group and Ethan Burke showed off that bend he showed off that speed he showed off that burst he looked really good and yeah I was curious what he was going to look like in his toughest test of his college career and he passed that test with flying colors so that was uh that was really really cool to see Ethan Burke and Anthony Hill man those were the the sack artists for Texas on Saturday obviously everybody else contributed and got pressures and got hits but uh pretty cool to see two Lesser-known guys, I know people know them from their high school days and their recruiting days, but lesser-known guys as college football players stepping up and uh, making stuff happen for this defense. Yeah, and David Benda also deserves a ton of credit, too. He fought hard. He obviously had that highlight reel sack where he gets cut down and gets right back up and then hits Milrow hard and takes him down for a sack. I think if we're nitpicking the Texas defensive performance, there were some moments where David Benda got burned, one of which the Longhorns obviously got very lucky on with that wheel route where you saw the play happening where he took a bad angle to try and catch up with the running back to get him where the ball might have been thrown behind the line of scrimmage. And then the running back, I think it was Jace McClellan, ends up five yards past Benda. And if that ball had been on the money or had a little bit more air under it, that certainly would have been a touchdown. That's a nitpick, though. David Benda, I think, exemplifies the overall effort happening on the defensive side of the ball on Saturday. Then Keaton Crawford, too. uh, He was a liability at safety last year in coverage. And I think that's probably still the case this year. But – 
he is another one of those guys who is not afraid to come up and run support and really hit the opposing ball carrier hard. We saw a couple of examples of that on Saturday night too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, shout out to Twitch Entropy. Entropy. How do you pronounce that, Trey? I'm not very smart. I'm not good at words. Entropy, I believe. Okay. Eight dollar super chat. Thank you very much. Thanks, Twitch. Twitch. Entropy. That was awesome. And shout out to everybody who watched our post game show after the game on Saturday night with Trey and Kevin. And shout out to all of you who donated to our channel. A lot of you were in good moods on Saturday night. Hell, we all were in good moods on Saturday night. But thank you for uh, supporting Trey and Kevin and for supporting Texas Sports Unfiltered. That was really cool to see. There are going to be a bunch of babies born in Austin and across the state of Texas in about nine months with names like Ethan and Quinn and Xavier and Anthony and Tavondre and (laughs) Tavion. Yeah, go ahead and expect that right now, Austin and State of Texas hospitals. There's going to be a huge flood of future Longhorn babies born in, I don't know, around May or June. Are you going to have one of them? Well, if I'm being completely honest, boy, I hope Christine's not watching right now. (laughs) Theoretically, that could happen because, yes, there was some action had in the Elling household after post game on Saturday night. Come on. Congratulations on the sex. The first time and Calvin is seven years old now. It's the first time in about eight years. So thank you. Wow. So this is uh, the third ever time you guys have done it, which means there will be a kid coming soon. Congratulations. She's such a sucker. She's such a sucker. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, thank you for that Twitch. Really appreciate the uh, the super chat and appreciate all of you texting in on the new text line 512-222-9328. Uh, a text from a 512 number Ethan Burke is turning into a monster. Someone giving some love to Rice. Yeah, nice win for Rice over Houston yeah. in double overtime in one of the weirdest games you'll see ever. Rice didn't score a point in the second half, but still found a way to knock off the Cougs in double overtime. So that makes Texas's week one win look a little bit more impressive. Uh, somebody says, don't look past KU. It's a 602 number. Uh, Daniels looks like a Heisman finalist. Yeah, Kansas, they played Friday night, but uh, man, they were dominating Illinois. The score looks a little closer than that game actually was. But yeah, Kansas, look, you don't, you don't have to tell any Texas fan to not look past Kansas. We we, we, we know. We, uh, we won't be looking past Kansas. We'll worry about Kansas in a couple of weeks. Now it's uh, don't look past Wyoming because, well, we all saw what they did against a Big 12 team uh, a couple of weeks ago. Sorry about that. Your mark, you. Mm. Yikes. 0-2 for Texas Tech. Uh, all right, before we uh, get back into this game and maybe talk some of the other big headlines from around the uh, college football world, let's give some love to some of our great sponsors. Uh, Trey, relax the back, the chair that you're sitting in. I, I really need to call Jason like right after this show. Like, I'm, I'm starting to squirm again. I need a nice chair like you've got and relax the back. Those are the guys I need to reach out to. That's right. You can barely see it swiveling around with that dark bookshelf behind me. It is the most comfortable chair in the Elling household. I am so thankful that I have this chair. I'm not sure what I would do otherwise. If I was sitting in like a camping chair or a folding chair like you have in your second bedroom, BK, that would be a problem. My 45-year-old back and body, it needs very particular seats to sit in for a long period of time and relax the back would be happy to help with that 
just like they have with me. Actually won this chair through the mullet open a couple years ago. Well, my brother did, and I paid him a couple hundred bucks for it. 200 of the best dollars I've ever spent in my life. I've been a customer at Relax the Back going on 10 to 15 years at this point. Massage tools, I've bought uh, desks in the past. I'm actually looking at a standing desk right now, one that can raise up or lower down to allow me to sit to continue to use this chair as well. I know Relax the Back has a variety of options at different price points to help make that happen. Find out for yourself. There are locations all over Austin. You don't know where the closest location is. And if you want to check out everything that they have to offer you, go to relaxtheback.com. Absolutely. Shout out to Relax the Back. Thank you for their uh, sponsorship and partnership with us here at Texas Sports Unfiltered. And shout out to my friends at the Altstat Brewery. Oh, I had more than a few Altstats in celebration on Saturday night. Hopefully you did the same. Altstat beer available wherever you shop for beer all across the great state of Texas. It's brewed in Fredericksburg, but you can find it at HEB, Specs, Twin Liquors, Total Wine, wherever you go to get your beer. They've got those six packs. Even those 15 packs. Yeah, that's right. The party packs of Old Stat beer. So many different brews. Something for every beer drinker out there, including some great seasonal beers as well. I'm telling you, for your tailgates, for your watch parties. Hey, we got Monday Night Football tonight. You need a great beer to accompany your football watching all season long. Make it Old Stat beer. It is the official beer of BK. It should be the official beer of you as well. It's Old Stat beer. No impurities, no regrets. All right, Trey, we'll get back into Texas, Alabama, but let's uh, let's go around the Big 12 a little bit, maybe around college football. By the way, Shehan Jayaraja will be joining us at 2 o'clock. He is a national college football writer for CBS Sports, so uh, we'll talk to him about some of the big storylines from around the state and around the country, but hey, we also have opinions on uh, on what's going on there. I'll give you the floor, man. Week two of the college football season officially in the books. You can keep it in the state. You can keep it in the conference. You can go wherever you want. Uh, some of your biggest observations slash takeaways from the second week of the 2023 college football season. Is it too early to hand off the mantle of Texas is back folks to our brethren in college station about 80 to 90 miles away because that seems to be the program that people want to crown as actually being back when the opposite is the case. How about AM getting worked by Miami and Coral Gables on Saturday afternoon into evening? And that offense that looked pretty good in week one started to show some serious flaws in the process as well. Yeah, Connor Wegman threw his first career pick at AM in that game, and special teams was a huge factor too. Miami had a long kickoff return for a touchdown, and the Aggie defense, man, like they just got picked apart. You know, it's a night and day difference from what we saw between these two teams last year in College Station, right? AM won that game. It's obviously different, but also it was a slugfest. It was ugly, and neither offense could really get anything going. Of course, AM had a different quarterback in that game. Miami had the same dude, right? Tyler Van Dyke who going into last season was like a potential first-round pick. He had a really disappointing year, but like that game in College Station was supposed to be like his coming-out party and like, hey, I'm, I'm here to show the world that, no, I'm, I am a Sunday player, and I am capable of being a first-round pick in the NFL draft. Well, he stunk to high heavens in that game last year, and this year completely different, 21 of 30, 374 yards, and five touchdowns. No turnovers as well for Van Dyke. He was incredible. And, yeah, I mean, Miami just had a bunch 
of big plays on offense and on special teams. Uh, of course, they got some help from the defense, too. The Aggies, you mentioned it, a couple of bad turnovers by them as that game wore along, which allowed Miami to kind of turn it into a route. This was a close game. AM led early. Uh, it was a close game at halftime, but in the second half, Miami turned it on, and AM kind of crumbled under the pressure in the heat of the moment. So, uh, yeah, not the start AM was looking for. They obviously got the easy win in week one over New Mexico, but – uh, they were hoping to get a nice resume boosting type of win over Miami to give them some confidence going into conference play. And now it was, uh, it was a pretty rough second half showing by the not very fighting Texas Ags. So which do you think is more likely to be true in a month or two BK that the PAC 12 is this good or the sec may be this bad this year? Because both hmm. seem pretty on point two weeks into the season. You know how many teams the Pac-12 has ranked in this week's top 25? I believe it's eight. That ties a record. There are wow. eight Pac-12 teams in the top 25, which is weird because there's only two teams in the conference. I don't know how that's possible. But eight Pac-12 teams ranked, and it's it's good. I was trying to tell whoever would listen that the Pac-12 was actually really good this season. Like, when Oregon State is relevant, that's when you know the conference might actually be okay. And Oregon State's pretty damn good with DJU. That's a team that won 10 games last year. They brought just about everybody back, and they upgraded at quarterback. They're legit. Uh, Oregon, nice win. They were down nine in the second half in Lubbock. They get that victory over Texas Tech. Bo Nix looks really, really good. He usually sucks on the road. So for him to actually play a good game away from either Auburn or Eugene, wherever he calls home, that was a really, really good sign. Uh, Washington looks good. Obviously, USC. I mean, that you know, Caleb Williams is something special. Uh, all the hype surrounding that kid is absolutely worth it. He is a stud right now. You just go around the conference. Oh, yeah, Colorado, by the way, maybe the biggest story in college football through a couple of weeks. They dominated Nebraska on Saturday. Like, yeah, that's. I think the Pac-12 is legit. I think the SEC will figure some things out. It will still be probably the best conference in college football at the end of this year. But, uh, no, I, I don't think the Pac-12 was going anywhere. They've got a good shot to get a team into the CFP. But, hell, they also have a good shot to get nobody in the CFP because they've got some teams who will beat up on each other. It might be tough to go through that uh, that slate with only one loss this year. Maybe right about that, BK. So, obviously, Georgia is the best of the SEC this year. No surprise. Defending champs, even though they lose some guys, they have rolled through two weeks. Who do you think the second-best team in the conference is right now? In the SEC? Yeah. I'd still go Alabama. Okay. Um, look, Texas clearly exposed some weaknesses on Saturday night, but I think more of that game is just Texas is really good this year, and less of it is Alabama's really bad this year. I know every time Alabama loses a game, everybody wants to say that Nick Saban's lost it and the dynasty is over and Alabama's not going to be a factor anymore. But I would still go with uh, with Alabama number two. Um, Ole Miss, nice win by them over Tulane over the weekend. Tennessee, they're two and zero, but God, they what was it? Austin P, Austin P A, yeah. whatever the whatever the hell that is. The Governors, apparently that's their team names. They used to be the owners, but Adam Silver made them change it to the Governors. That's what I heard. Uh, nice, mm. you know, they, they were close against Tennessee in the first half. So the volunteers didn't look all that impressive. Uh, I would still go with Alabama. Um, but yeah, no, it's and hell Georgia hasn't looked that great. 
Like yeah. they in the first halves of their two games against nobodies, they haven't gotten off to the best of starts. So I'd still go with Alabama, but uh, man, it is it, it's a weird year. The SEC not looking nearly as sharp as as we're used to seeing. And I wonder if that's an NIL thing, maybe leveling the playing field a little bit. I wonder if it's just a ah, random happenstance through a couple of weeks of the college football season. But yeah, it has not been this dominant beast that we're so accustomed to seeing so far this year. Yeah, LSU in a very similar situation to Alabama, maybe better off because they think they know who their quarterback is, but I think he's still a guy that has a lot of question marks too. But I like that list right there, and I also like that you left A&M off the list because there's no way they're the second best in the SEC this year. No, no chance. No chance it's A&M. And, boy, what about the Big 12? (laughs) Texas Tech. I haven't seen too many cactus emojis on my Twitter timeline over the last couple of weeks, Trey. I mean, all the look, Big 12 play hasn't started. So technically, the, them and Texas have the same conference record, and they have the same chance that Texas and everybody else does to make it to Arlington at the end of the year. But uh, this was a dark horse CFP contender for some folks, not just in Lubbock, but like there were national guys saying, watch out for Texas Tech as a major player this year in college football. Uh, They lose that embarrassing game to Wyoming, and then they had a chance. Like, all right, hey, we're back on track. Let's get this statement win over a ranked Oregon team. But they cough up a pretty decent-sized second-half lead as well. It's trouble at uh, at your mark, you. (laughs) Yeah, look, Joey McGuire talks a big game. But if you're going to do that, the results also need to follow. And right now, Joey McGuire looks much more like a used car salesman than he does a guy who is leading Texas Tech into a new era. The loss at Wyoming was embarrassing. And once again, a game that they get up big and that lead melts away and they ultimately lose. Same thing happens against Oregon. A little bit more understandable, I guess, because Oregon is nationally ranked. But his team needs to figure it out real fast because otherwise he's going to suddenly find a lot of pressure and a lot of heat on his seat heading into the end of year two into year three as well. Mm. We'll see if uh, they can get past Tarleton state this weekend. Could be a tough one for the uh, red Raiders, the way that they've been playing. Now yes. I am somebody who was on the record going back to that hire as saying that Joey McGuire was a great get for Texas tech. And I had a lot of tech fans who doubted that. And look, it's understandable. The guy had done great in high school. He has those high school relationships. He was a part of Dave Aranda's staff uh, for that Big 12 championship year, and I think the year before that too. But he was unproven at the college level as a head coach of a major program like Texas Tech. But because of the doubt that existed in the beginning, he has less wiggle room because he did hype things up so much this offseason and how he would tell everybody who would listen that anything short of a big 12 championship is disappointing for his team this year. Well, yeah. you've got a long ways to go. Yeah. Excuse me, Trey. Big 12. Yep. Get yourself to that game the first Saturday of December right now, because you're certainly not beating Texas and Austin as it stands right now. Kansas state is going to be a big problem for you too. And Oklahoma is very likely also going to be a major issue. So, uh, Texas Tech has got to figure it out. Got to figure it out quickly. Obviously, Tarleton State will help them uh, play three to four guys on the depth chart at each position. 
but ultimately you're really not going to have that next test until your first conference game in a few weeks. Man, I just, it sucks for us, right? As Texas fans, because we now have to go through Laramie and Eugene to win the big 12. Cause that's apparently the big 12 runs through those two cities. Uh, it, it was supposed to run through Lubbock, but now we got, we got a lot of road trips. We got to take man to, uh, to make sure we can win this conference this year. I'm not going to be surprised if Brett Yormark, who, by the way, is a dude that I have a ton of respect for, if he ends up popping positive for COVID the week of Thanksgiving that keeps him from making <laughs> that trip to Austin, BK. Oh, that would be hilarious. Oh, man, he'd get dunked on. Oh, did you see the Big 12's tweet after the game on Saturday night? I did. Hey, Long- Longhorn fans, just take a breath. Let it be. Oh. Don't let it bother you. Embrace the hate embrace that antagonizing all they're doing is trying to troll you let it roll off your back embrace the hate everything else is rat poison Jalen Ford tweeted about this yesterday I was so fucking happy to see this because I was seeing Texas receive way too much love the hate is gone BK you beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa all of a sudden everybody's your best friend we need to remember that embrace the hate attitude it's still going to exist uh, throughout every other game on your regular season schedule and Jalen Ford Last night, let me try and pull up the exact tweet. Um, Jalen Ford says, come on, Twitter. Okay, I've seen enough. It's all rat poison now. That's right. That's what I want to hear the Longhorn leaders to say. I want them to focus on beating the crap out of Wyoming this week and then getting ready for conference play the Sunday slash Monday after that. Hey, Big 12, embrace these nuts, all right? Screw you guys. Don't be taking our side now, <laughs> dunking on us all offseason long. Oh, we can't wait to get them out of there. Thank God we're getting rid of them after this year. And then claim us when we get that big win on Saturday night. Shit. Embrace these nuts. Oh, y'all. Just get ready because they may go full Aggie before it's all said and done. If Texas finds more national successes – or even an SEC championship at some point in the not-too-distant future, I wouldn't be surprised if the Big 12 tried to have some fun with that in a sense, but also said, former Big 12 member that's winning an SEC championship all of a sudden. Dude, if Texas makes the playoff this year, I don't think we will, but some people now seem to think that we've got a shot. Big 12 is going to be claiming next year that they had a team in the playoff last year. You know that. Like on their TV commercials, on their promo spots, they're going to be like, oh, we put a team into the college football playoff last year. That's how good we are. And I'm just going to be laughing all the way to the bank with that SEC money coming our way. I, I, I don't know why I'm acting like it's coming my way. None of, it's, none of it's really coming my way. I'm not getting any of that. But proverbial, UT, we'll be laughing to the bank as we're cashing in on those SEC paychecks in the better conference. That's right. Try not to be too prisoner of the moment here, BK, but I've changed my national championship pick for this year. Texas is winning it all. You understand that, right? Like you're you're getting yourself ready for that. What Are sport? You? What sport? Football. You don't believe that. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. They have an insanely good defense. They're talented on offense, and their quarterback steps up in the biggest moments. All right, Rad Poison. Seriously? I'm tweeting this out if you're making this pick. I'm putting you I'm on record right now. Making it right now. All right, I'm tweeting from the Texas Sports Unfiltered Twitter account. Y'all make sure to follow that, at TS Unfiltered, if you don't already. Courtesy Wave says Texas will win the national championship this year. Do I have that right? The Longhorn fans start preparing to celebrate 
a football national championship at the end of the 2023 season because it's happening, baby. Oh my God. What, what is in that cup over there? What are you drinking, dude? Telling you there are a bunch of flawed teams this year. So it makes sense that somebody would be able to jump up and snatch that first natty in a while. Georgia's going to be a problem. Ohio State or Michigan or maybe even Penn State might be a problem, although I don't have a ton of faith in James Franklin either. And then USC, for as flawed as they are defensively, they are insane on offense, as we just talked about too. So there's going to be some stout competition, but I believe in this Longhorns roster. And yes, now coaching staff. It took one game for me to believe that Steve Sarkeesian is no longer going to have his troubles against top 25 competition or conference pros on the road. This is happening now. My God. (laughs) Oh, it's not just Big 12 or bust. It's now natty or bust for this Texas team. Fuck it. We're fully bought in. Unfortunately, this is water right here. I wish it was orange Kool-Aid. You got a pool at your house. You're swimming in that shit, dude. Swimming. I mean, look, I I told you guys, just dump all the burnt orange Kool-Aid on me. Because I, I was convinced that Texas could win and would win that game in Tuscaloosa. So I think that my recent track record speaks to you people paying attention and starting to get those celebrations ready. You are 2-0 and in your last two picks on Trey and BK with the Lions over the Chiefs and with the Horns over Alabama by multiple scores. So maybe your opinion carries some weight. Maybe you're dumb. I think it's that one. But I like the confidence. I like the <laughs> optimism. <laughs> Uh, shout out to Fancy Boots, by the way. Did not get to do our picks on Friday. There were extenuating circumstances, uh, obviously. Bucky suffering from transgender amnesia on Thursday was an issue, but everybody stepped up and did what they had to on Friday. Uh, but I'm disappointed because I know you would have gone against both of those picks. So if nothing else, I would have gained two games on you in our season-long football picks bet. But I guess that starts this week now. You're probably right. Hey, shout out to Fancy Boots. She was at the game in Tuscaloosa, and she is now a part of our Texas Sports Unfiltered lineup, the new Fire the Cannon show with Fancy Boots and Rocky coming up Wednesday from 3 to 5. You can catch them every Wednesday from 3 to 5 right here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Super excited to have those ladies on board. They know their stuff. They've got connections. They know it's their stuff. They love the University of Texas more than just about anybody I know. Can't wait to get to listen to their show this Wednesday and every Wednesday moving forward. Uh, what else did I need to – what else? Oh, oh. Who? Okay. I think the best team in the Big 12 through two weeks is Texas. I think the second best team in the Big 12 to through uh, through two weeks is Kansas State. Yep, uh, they've looked very good. They Troy's not great, but Troy is a team that's given some Power Five teams problems in recent years. Uh, they gave Kansas State no problems on Saturday. K State pulled away. They looked awesome on both sides of the football. I think there's your one two right now in the Big 12. Who's number three? Is it Oklahoma? Is it UCF who beat Boise State on the road this weekend? Is it is it Kansas? We need to, boy, God, that Kansas offense, man. I'm surprised that Illinois was able to get the points that they were, but Kansas kind of let their foot off the gas in the second half. They were impressive in the first half, though. That's a great question. Right now, I probably, probably go Oklahoma because they have looked the best, I think, on both sides of the ball through two weeks, but you really can't take anything out of that week one performance because Arkansas State is so bad. It's interesting to see UCF 
competing like they are. I spoke with Terry Mahajer, their athletics director at Big 12 Media Days. Really enjoyed that conversation, by the way. But he flat out said, like, I think we're going to be better than last year's record indicated. I, I love Gus Malzahn. He's a guy who had a relationship with Gus going back to when Terry was the AD at, I believe it was Arkansas State, and Gus Malzahn was getting his start as a head coach there. And uh, obviously they have continued to maintain those relations since then. Malzahn has proven himself in college football that he can get the job done, and that seems to be happening right now. Will it translate into conference play? I don't know, but I was surprised to see UCF come out on top over Boise State this weekend. Yeah, UCF was 9-3 and three during the regular season. Now they lost the conference title game, then they lost their bowl game, so they did end up with five losses. But, uh, I mean, I, I don't have to tell anybody watching or listening what UCF has been in recent years. Obviously a big step up in class going from the AC to the Big 12. But, uh, yeah, a couple of nice wins for them to uh, to start the season. Obviously curious to see how they look when we uh, get into conference play. They play Villanova this week. I guess Villanova has football. That's news to me. And then how about the first conference game for UCF? You want to see if these guys are legit? Next weekend, a trip to the Little Apple to take on K-State. All right. UCF can win that one or at least make it interesting. Then, all right, maybe there's a, a team that we weren't expecting to be a factor in this Big 12 this year becoming a factor in this Big 12 this year. And credit Oklahoma State, I guess. I mean, they beat a power five foe on the road this weekend. It was Arizona State, and I have no idea if Arizona State is any good this year, but <laughs> considering how good the Pac-12 has been, it's one of the few times a power five has actually beat that conference in the first well, Arizona year. State, they gave themselves a uh, a bowl band this year. So mm. they're also doing it on the field, too. They just want to make sure that they're not going to win six games so they don't actually have to – punish themselves they're going to do their part to lose as many games as possible so that punishment doesn't feel that bad amazing Patty also beats Pitt on the road this weekend still don't think they're going to be very good and good for West Virginia getting back on track by beating the shit out of Duquesne what is Duquesne division three in football I realize they're a Pittsburgh University so that's a relatively close game but good lord guys Duquesne yeah the hell is that it's how you pronounce Duquesne Oh, Duquesne. Oh, yeah. Now you're pronouncing it wrong. It's Duquesne. And I was like, what are you What are you saying over there, dude? Yeah, way to go, Neil Brown. God, they want to fire that dude so bad, but his buyout is huge, and they don't have the money up there that we have here in Texas. And he is in don't-give-a-fuck mode, too, so that's going to be oh, a yeah. funny situation to continue to watch. It's a bit of a Jimbo Fisher deal, not nearly as bad in terms of how – terrible that contract was and how much of it was guaranteed but yeah they're in a bit of a bind with neil brown oh man i love some of these texts we're getting on our new text line 512-222-9328 opposite ends of the spectrum someone says don't do it trey don't do it don't jinx it and when you're talking about texas now winning the national championship this year and then the next comment says trey i love it so full of it and then another comment says trey has sex one time and loses his mind yeah, what's your point? <laughs> the PNC, kids. you know, or let's see. No, it was two days ago. How many times have you had sex in the last two days? Texter? Yeah, that's what I thought. You don't have to respond to that, Texter. Although I am kind of intrigued, so please, please do respond. Look, I have a history of laughing in the face of supposed jinxes. Throughout my little league and youth baseball career, pitcher would have a no hitter. Everybody be afraid to go talk to him after two or three innings. I go right up and talk to him. You know what happened in those games, BK? 
pitcher lost the no hitter, but that didn't have anything to do with me jinxing <laughs> it because the no hitter is really hard. Oh boy. What a story that wasn't. Thanks for sharing that. Now I feel like we've got no chance to make a run at a national title this year. I didn't anyways, but now now it's confirmed. Now now I'm worried about Wyoming a little bit this weekend because of that story that you just told. I'd be worried, except Jalen Ford is saying how it's all rat poison now, including the praise, and they're getting a lot of praise right now, and that's something you have to fight against when you find the tiniest bit of success as this Longhorn football program. All of a sudden, you're not only kings on the campus with which you represent, but you go around this badass city, and you're treated like royalty across Austin, too. But they understand. All of it means nothing. Focus on that very next task at hand. And I truly feel like this team has taken on the mentality of their head coach who has been preaching this all offseason now. Uh, We'll see what Sark has to say at his press conference today. I'm sure that's going to be his mindset and his message saying that, hey, Saturday was fun, and I'm glad the Texas team celebrated. They should have celebrated. That was a massive win for the program. But it's back to work. Sark said it right after the game. Quinn Ewer said it right after the game, too. Like We've got 10 games left. Uh, This is not the goal like our one goal this year was not to beat Alabama and that's it no like we still have 10 games we still have the entirety of conference play in front of us we've got a lot of goals and aspirations that we want to hit this season that was what they were saying after the game and I think that'll be the messaging this week easier said than done we'll obviously see how they look next Saturday that makes me feel a little bit better about seeing guys have pictures snapped of them with cigars in their mouth after the game celebrating it like uh child was born or a national championship was just one that definitely had a bit of that dog piling after winning a regional feeling Mm. where I understand it's a huge moment for this team and for this program on the whole, but try and do a slightly better job of acting like you've been there before. Oh, come on. They can have some fun after the game. We ran down all the stats. Nobody's done that to a Nick Saban Alabama team. Celebrate that. I get it. Celebrate it, man. Don't break out the cigars just yet, especially because, as Quinn and Sark talked about, the job is far from done. You break out the cigars when you complete the job. Maybe he, maybe here. he's like maybe he's like uh, Lenny Dawson, and he smokes a long dart after every game. I think Len Dawson did it at halftime of that Super Bowl four way back when. Maybe that's just who Quinn Ewers is, and we don't know about it. Maybe he goes for a cigar every single time Texas plays a football game. Maybe that's his bit. Boy, speaking of going back to like 1960s, 1950s football, that Alabama offense was a throwback in terms of how many jump passes and little flip passes they were relying on on those RPOs of just having Milrow get it to whoever whatever way that he could if he was about to get hit behind the line of scrimmage. It was impressive, and it also felt like it was pushing football back by decades, too. Well, I'm really glad we have a quarterback who can throw, Trey. Yeah. That's all I will say. Yep. Um, Jalen Milrow, explosive playmaker, made some plays with his legs, throws a nice deep ball. They had a couple of nice deep shot touchdowns, but – He is not consistent, and that's why Texas taking the lead the way that it did in the fourth quarter, making Jalen Miller a passer was so big, right? If Bama plays with the lead, they can just run the ball, control the clock, and keep your offense on the sideline. But because Texas was in control for most of the game, obviously Bama had that one lead late in the third, but Texas was playing with the lead for the vast majority 
of the game on Saturday, uh, Jalen Miller had to throw up more than he wanted to. And Alabama's last offensive possession before Texas got the ball back with seven minutes and 14 seconds and completely ran out the clock, um, Jalen Milrow threw it three times. He got sacked on that third down play. That was one of the Anthony Hill sacks there. But he had to drop back and throw three different times. And that's like, oh, that was perfect for us. That's what we wanted to see. Every show, every Texas fan had talked about it all week long. Like, you turn Jalen Milrow into a pocket passer, that means you won the football game. And that's what Texas did. They got the lead in the fourth quarter. They turned Milrow into a pocket passer. He couldn't connect on anything down the field. And uh, Texas obviously gets the three and out, and they get the stop. They get the win. That was really, really cool to see. I don't think it would have made a difference in the game, but I think the Longhorn defense lucked out in a sense. And by the way, a lot went for Texas, even though there were some really blatant holding calls that the rest were choosing to keep their flags in pockets and swallow whistles too. Or it's like the Longhorn defensive lineman was past, were, was past his guy and was either going to get a pressure, a hit, or a sack on Jalen Milrow. And for whatever reason, no penalty was called, whatever. Ultimately, doesn't matter. Texas caught a couple of breaks, too, including breaks that you wouldn't necessarily think of. Like, Alabama's last drive going into halftime, I think that before that drive, it was a no-brainer for Nick Saban to try a different quarterback. But because you saw Milrow experience a little bit of success at the half, and really it was one good play, and there were a couple of other fluke plays that helped get them down there, too. Uh, he was kind of forced to see if Milrow could get something more going the first couple of possessions after halftime. Yeah. And he just he kept nibbling on success enough that Saban felt inclined to keep him in the game. And I think it speaks to a couple of things. One, Nick Saban obviously is willing to make that change at quarterback if it wants to. But... He believes that Milrow can be his guy long-term, and he probably has zero faith in both Buckner and Simpson coming in and doing any better at that position. Yeah, and it's different than the national championship game, right? Like Tua was a super highly touted recruit, and way more was expected out of him than Buckner or Simpson at the stage of his career that he was at. And look, if Texas was up, I think Georgia was up 16-0, at halftime in that national championship game. If Texas was up 16-0, maybe the change is made. But this was a one-possession game at the break. So, uh, yeah, there was I, – I, I don't know if that thought ever even crossed Nick Saban's mind to uh, to make the change. He was going to ride or die with Jalen Milrow. And Milrow made a couple of plays. Obviously, they had uh, two nice passing touchdowns in the second half. One of them was more of just Texas forgetting how to tackle on that Black touchdown in the fourth quarter. But – uh, yeah, no, look, Quinn Ewers clearly the better quarterback on Saturday. We figured that would be the case on paper. He's the better quarterback. He's got more experience. He obviously has better arm talent and that all came to fruition on Saturday night. Uh, shout out to this text, Brad, we're over the eccentric pronunciations, not cute or funny anymore. Hey, fuck off texter. Fuck off. Why are you against me like that? Well, it brings it on yourself by insisting on pronouncing things like you're a Canadian BK. You guys need to learn how to pronounce things. That's y'all's fault. I'm doing this correctly. You guys uh, have to come up to speed there. Um, what else did I want to get into here on Texas? I lost my train of thought from uh, from talking trash to somebody who was talking trash to me. Let's hear from Steve Sarkeesian as we transition, shall we? The opening statement. You know, we're an hour and six minutes into our show. This feels like the right time to play an opening statement from a post-game press conference. Here's Steve Sarkeesian right after the game on Saturday talking about the big win. And ultimately, 
you know, getting the ball with seven minutes to go at the end of this game and finishing the game with the ball in our hands and never giving it back to them. That's an explosive team. So for us to possess it, I thought it, it, it's just kind of indicative of how far we've come. You know, our ability to rebound when things don't go our way in the second half and then our ability to, to finish games on the road um, to possess the ball and, and finish it out. You know, there's a lot of individual highlight performances to talk about, but uh, all in all, it's a heck of a team win and uh, really proud of our players. You know, we have a, a, a ton of respect uh, for that team, for, for Alabama, and I know how well they're coached. I know how hard they play. Um, and so, uh, you know, 52-1 and one walking, in this, walking in this stadium here over the last 53 games. So um, I think it just shows a lot about kind of what we're capable of. And like I said, coming into the game, this game's not going to define our season. <laughs> we got 10 more regular season games to play, uh, but I think it does serve as a good benchmark for us of kind of what we're capable of and what the potential of who we can be as a team moving forward. I love that. I mean, look, I'm going to love anything anybody says after a win like that. But uh, that mindset, Sark at the end, both of the last two things that he said, number one, this being a benchmark and this showing everybody what Texas is capable of when they play their best. And I don't even think Texas played its best, Trey. Like you had a, a drop touchdown, held two drop touchdown passes. You had a missed field goal. You had a, a couple of breakdowns defensively, just randomly. Like I don't think Texas played an A plus plus type of game. There are things that they actually could have done better, but despite that, they still went on the road and beat Alabama by double digits. So yeah, that's a message. More importantly to the team, to the fan base as well, but more importantly to the guys in that locker room. Like, hey, if we prepare like we did last week and we play like we did today, then there's nobody in the country who can beat us. I love that. And I also love what we had talked about earlier, the whole rat poison thing. Hey, we, we, we got 10 games left. Like this cannot be our defining moment this season. You know what Texas did in 2005 after their big week two road victory against a blue blood program? Well, they went out and won the rest of their games en route to a national championship. Like they didn't let that one game be the moment for that team that season. They went out there and got the job done every single week after that. The expectations are always high for Texas. They were pretty high going into this season. Uh, now they're even higher after that win on Saturday. you got to make sure you've got that same mindset and that same work ethic that you displayed leading up to the Bama game over the course of the rest of the season so you can achieve bigger things than just that one Week 2 victory. That is why I am speaking with such confidence right now. And Look, I understand it's a bit histrionic. Yes, I'm saying Texas is going to win a national championship. We don't know that for sure. But I feel a lot more confident right now about saying that, BK, than I did even four or five days ago when I thought Texas could win this game by double digits. Because what have we been saying all offseason, really going back to last year, last year during the 2022 season, you're going to have a great gauge from where this football team and where this program are at week two of the 2023 season. Because where you go and who you're having to play, even if they're a little bit down this year. And I think that they passed every test in front of them on Saturday on top of saying and then hopefully doing the right things after that as well. It starts with not just a belief, but an understanding of what it takes to accomplish greatness. And I think because Steve Sarkeesian is the guy talking to them about these things, and it's not somebody like a Tom Herman or a Charlie Strong or even a Mac Brown at the end of his era – he is very laser focused on that as well and understanding what you need to be telling yourself and what the guys in that inner circle 
guys and gals too, by the way, because the Texas program obviously consists of both, how they need to have this shared belief if they are going to continue to show that they are as good as advertised in Tuscaloosa a couple days ago. Yeah, can't be a hangover effect, man. I mean, this Wyoming team is not bad. Right? Maybe Texas Tech was overlooking them a couple of weeks ago. Now, look, Texas is better than Texas Tech, and that game's in Austin versus being on the road, so I fully expect Texas to win. But you've got, like, Rice was your easiest game, okay? And you've got tough games on the schedule this season, and most, if not every opponent that Texas will play this year is capable of beating you. If you overlook them, if you take your foot off the gas, if you're sloppy, whatever. So, yeah, you've just got to make sure it's turned on every single Saturday, and we'll see. It's, it's easy to say. Every coach says it. Every coach says stuff like this after a big win, uh, but not every coach can find a way to uh, to back it up. So it's on the coaches, it's on the players, it's on everyone in that program, like you said, Trey, to have that mindset and that work ethic that they clearly display. I mean, let's be honest. It wasn't six days that Texas had to prepare for Alabama. It was six months plus. Like Texas overlooked Rice. I, I think that's easy to say. I think there was a fear that that was going to happen going into that game. And then based on what happened in those four quarters in Austin last weekend, I think it's clear as day that Texas was overlooking Rice because they were focused on Alabama, like all offseason long. Hell, I had heard that about last year's game against Alabama, that all offseason long going into 2022, Sark and this coaching staff were all about beating Alabama. Okay? They couldn't get it done last year, and well, they ended up losing a total of five games last year too. Uh, this year they found a way to get it done. Okay. Awesome. Well, you don't have six months to prepare for every, every other team on your schedule. Like you, you've got to make sure that that is just, that's not it. That's not it. And we'll see, we'll see if they can actually do that. You've talked about it a lot at times in the last 12, 13 years, when this Texas program has got an ounce of success, they've let it get to their heads and they've fallen apart. You're saying you're confident that that's not going to be the case this year. I'm uh, not to rain on parades because I'm still on cloud nine and I'm pumped about what happened on Saturday and I'm pumped about what's still to come for this Texas team this year. But we got to actually go out there and, and, and see them do it over these uh, next 10 regular season games and hopefully a conference title game too. It is important to recall history for a couple of reasons. One, so that you can understand what the likely trend is going to be for something going forward in a similar situation but it's equally, if not more important, to understand what has tripped you, the entity, whatever else it is that you want to refer to as this Texas football program to ensure that you don't make that same mistake. And so my belief right now is that the Longhorns understand this has tripped up plenty of programs in the past. And I'm also guessing that there are guys who have been a part of this program who are talking to them about that as well at times. Like, what did we hear from Vince Young at the end of the game on Saturday? He was in attendance, obviously, in Alabama. What did he say? Was he celebrating the win? Like, he talked about how it was a great moment, but the task is far from finished right now. And that's probably the best dude to look to and hear from in a situation like that because he knows as well as anyone because he is as responsible as anybody else on that 2005 team for bringing that elusive national championship home to Austin. Yep, agreed, 100%. That's a good guy to hear it from. That's a good guy to learn from. And, um, yeah, I mean, it feels like there are some parallels. The expectations for that 05 team were higher than the expectations are for this team, I think. I mean, that 05 team was coming off of that Rose Bowl win over Michigan. They were ranked number two in the country 
at the start of the year. So that's almost like, hey, you're expected to be one of the two teams playing for the national title at the end of the year. Texas, not quite the same going into this season, but I don't mind making parallels to that team. That'd be nice. But let's also remember, even going into that final game, very few people expected Texas to win a national championship. In 05? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a two-time defending champ that we had to – oh, shit. Whoa, I didn't think about that parallel. Uh Uh-oh. We're coming, Georgia. (laughs) We are coming. I'll tell you what, Trey. Ah, let's do some reads here first, and then I, okay. then I want to talk about something that we've seen from Texas through two games that is a super encouraging sign that, you know, not only has this team impressed through two weeks, but maybe this team can impress through the rest of the year as well. Let's give some loves to our great sponsors, Audio Visual Consultations. Had a few buddies over watching some NFL football yesterday. Had Red Zone going. Yeah, Spectrum hadn't canceled that one yet. Thanks, Spectrum. Had the Fox game going, the CBS game going, and had the tennis going on my poor TV setup from audiovisual consultations. They hooked you up with uh, something pretty sweet at your pad, too. Holy shit, BK. I'm going to suggest to you right now, not because I don't care for Spectrum, although fuck Spectrum, <laughs> because there is no better TV service to have during football season than YouTube TV. They are not paying me to say this. But I am a YouTube TV customer, and they now offer the quad box for college football Saturdays and NFL Sundays. And I also have the NFL package through YouTube TV. One of their quad boxes or multiple quad boxes offer the Red Zone channel, which you can listen to the audio and three other games at the same time. So I was watching the Red Zone channel, which is the greatest television channel, uh, 365, like regardless of time of year. Obviously, it's only on for a handful of months throughout the year. But the Red Zone with three other NFL games got to see Bijan Robinson's very first touchdown before Red Zone showed it. And that is all because of not just YouTube TV, but the 85-inch screen that Tom McKay and Audiovisual Consultations put in our living room a few years ago. It is beautiful. And those four screens make me realize that you have had something great in your apartment or residence of choice for a long, long time. Now, audiovisual consultations would love to help your home or place of business out as well. First, go to avconsultations.com to see all the different services they can provide for you. And then once you decide on that service, you're going to give them a call at 512-255-8678 for audiovisual consultations. The best in the business. I had YouTube TV once. It was fine. But it takes too long to change channels because the new channels got to like load for a second. It's like, what are, what are we doing here? You there are TV? fast ways to do that. Now you press down on your remote and you can scroll through to previous channels really quickly. But with the quad box, it's not like you don't even need it part of the time now. And if wow. you have four TVs and each one is signed into a different YouTube TV account, you essentially have 16 games that you're watching at one time. Oh my God. All right, I might have to bail early today to uh oh shoot, we're normally done by now. What's the deal? Who's the boss here? I need to call YouTube TV and get in on that. Uh yeah, shout out to AV Consultations and shout out to Woods Comfort Systems as well, celebrating 60 years of providing top quality plumbing and HVAC services. Our friends at Woods Comfort Systems are dedicated to keeping you comfortable in every season. If something is wrong with your air conditioner, Call these guys. If you're building a house that needs an air conditioner, call these guys. They also do duct work, attic insulation, 
and plumbing services too. Their goal has always been to provide exceptional HVAC and plumbing all throughout Central Texas. Once again, they've been doing it for six decades now. Nobody better than Woods Comfort Systems. Check them out online at woodscomfortsystems.com or give them a call, 512-842-5066. Woods Comfort Systems, where comfort is our middle name. Don't go through these uh, red-hot dog days without working air conditioning. Woods Comfort Systems can get you back on track. All right, Trey. The God, there were so many positive takeaways from Saturday, of course. But the fact that Texas did not turn the ball over one time, and now that's two games in a row where Texas has not turned the ball over one time, that's huge. And how about only four penalties for Texas? Like Alabama looked like the road team on Saturday with some of the boneheaded mistakes they were making. I think that was encapsulated most by the offside penalty that basically iced the game for Texas on that final drive. You know, on that third and short, Texas trying to draw Alabama offsides. What do dumb teams do? They jump offsides in that situation. Like that's that felt like a Texas-like mistake that Alabama made. On Saturday, they had 10 penalties for 90 yards. Texas only had four for 40. They only had five against Rice, but three of those came in the fourth quarter when all of the backups were in. This team is playing clean football, Trey. And with all of the talent on this team, you feel like Texas has a shot against anybody, especially if they don't beat themselves. And through two weeks, they have not beaten themselves. That is a hugely positive sign for what this team can be this year. God, Nick Saban had to have been seeing red on that offsides that gave Texas that one more first down that the game was probably already done by then, but that certainly iced it if not. And yes, that is a big reason why I think you feel confident that Texas is going good places this year, whether that's a big 12 championship game or a conference title, or maybe even a college football playoff spot is that they do seem to possess that discipline. And that was absent at times last year, especially with that offensive line. But we already talked about just how great that performance was by the Texas O-line. That includes guys who were pretty mistake-riddled in week one against Rice. They, were, they not only cleaned it up, but were understanding what the responsibilities were on, on given calls. But they were fighting to the end, if not a tiny bit after the, uh, the end of every play. That's the sort of meanness that you want to see early on, but you want to see your guys be able to maintain that throughout the course of the game. Now, there is a fine line there. If you get a penalty, you've obviously taken a step too far. But that can still serve a greater cause in a sense. They never even went over that line, but they showed they were not going to back down from the toughness that Alabama was exhibiting early on, especially defensively. Yeah, great call. Right, The offensive line had that killer mentality that they did not have against Rice in week one. Like They were going easy on Rice, it felt like, at times last week, and that's why Rice's defensive front was able to have some success against Texas, like way more success than any Longhorn fan wanted to see. And Sark talked about it after the game. He talked about it last week. He said, our offensive line needs to play with more physicality. And they were more physical than Alabama on Saturday. And they won that battle in the trenches pretty much for all four quarters, but especially in that fourth quarter, right? Nut cutting time. Biggest moments of the game. The Texas offensive line was able to impose its will. How about that final drive? Speaking of that final drive. I mean, they, they ran it basically every single play. And mm-hmm. Alabama knew they were going to run it on every single play because Texas was trying to kill some clock. And Texas was able to pick up yards. They didn't have any you know explosive runs on that final drive. But 
hey, three or four yards here. Boom, it's third and seven. Okay, let's go ahead and pick up eight. I mean, that was crazy, man. Yeah, the offensive line, they brought it from a physicality standpoint, but also the, the chemistry was so much better than what happened. I mean, the communication was awful in week one against Rice, and it's like, ah, oh, crap, now you're going up against those guys. But also, in a ruckus crowd, there's 100,000 people who's making noise, making it even tougher for you to communicate with your teammates. The fact that Texas was able to look just so buttoned up, and they played with that physical edge that you and that Sark have talked about, massive, massive. If Texas is going to do something special this year, besides what they did on Saturday, which was pretty special, it's going to be because of the big uglies up front. Those guys were freaking incredible, dude. That was that was fun. You know, offensive line play, not always the most fun to watch. When your guys go out there and play the way Texas is did, it's fun to watch them have their way with the Alabama defensive front, especially in the past game. I don't know what to do with myself. It's been so bad for so long for the better part of 15 to 20 years that this is a nice joy to get to experience for the first time in a while. Thanks to everybody on the YouTube comments line today. That includes our guy CB, of course. He says, Texas made Bama feel like that lady on the Delta flight, BK. Ooh, this one. See, I thought we were going the hottie who was, uh, who was calling whoever it was not real. Ooh, I've got that one too. You may be right there. I don't know. Just shitting themselves over and over again. Could be this one. I'm telling you, I'm getting the off, and there's a reason why I'm getting the off, and everyone can either believe it or they cannot believe it. I don't give two but I am telling you right now, that mother that mother back there is not real. And you can sit on this plane and you can Quinn Ewers is not real. I feel like she does actually give two fucks, don't you? Mm. Yeah, I mean, she's... She didn't give two fucks. I'm like, I don't think you react like this if you don't give two fucks. No, she cared a lot. She was trying to save people's lives out there, man. There was a ghost on that plane, and she prevented that plane from taking off. So kudos to her, Okay. That's what the international flight to Spain that had to turn around because of the toxic diarrhea or the diarrhea biohazard. That's what they should have claimed, that it was a ghost mm. who had a case of the runs, who had a case of the Hershey squirts. And it's like uh, nobody was in the aisle. This is saving the embarrassment of the poor woman who actually suffered through this. Her colostomy bag started leaking or something, or she decided to take ayahuasca before getting on the flight. Just say, it was a ghost. All of a sudden, this brown liquid started showing up on the carpeting of the aisle, leading all the way back to that porta pot at the back of the plane. And unfortunately, it smelled super rancid at the same time, too. Now, why was it on your pants, lady? Uh, on your pants, too, BK. Ah, well, I don't know if that would have worked if she was the one trying to make the excuse. She was calling herself a ghost? I guess so. She was saying the ghost was hitting on me, and that's why. I don't know. I don't know where you're going with that. I don't know where I'm going with that. Hey, how about this turnaround for this Texas team? I just think about two years ago, and, and for a moment we can forget about the end of Mac. We can't forget about Charlie. We can't forget about Tom Herman. I just I think of Sark 
and how far this thing has come in the two plus years that Steve Sarkeesian has been in Austin. You know, two years ago, this team lost to Kansas at home as a five touchdown favorite, and they allowed Kansas to run for more than 200 yards in that game here in Austin. And then less than two years from that to go into Alabama and beat the team that has dominated the sport over the last decade and a half and to beat them in the fashion that Texas beat them. What a turnaround, dude. That is that is the ultimate 180. I mean, that's like people are talking about Saturday as one of the biggest wins in regular season history for the University of Texas. Two years ago, that game against Kansas, you could argue, maybe along with the first loss against Kansas, the most embarrassing loss in Texas football history. And to have that 180 in the span of a couple of years, pretty damn impressive. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. They have five touchdown favorites, losing to Kansas at home, allowing them to run up and down the field like that. That is absolutely in the conversation for worst losses in Texas football history. I think that the first loss to Kansas is in that category. Maybe the second is too. I don't know. I, I just be. some really embarrassing losses to the Longhorns that you probably remember at least one of them, the, uh, the, the Route 66 that lost to UCLA, the loss to Rice that it was brought up a couple weeks ago that Bucky was a part of. Now, granted, it was a driving rain. It was just a very fluky game, but that Sunday game was a colossal embarrassment. There have been embarrassments up there too, but no. I, I certainly can't deny that second Kansas loss. That was not good. And I remember it specifically. I don't always remember games from the past, but I remember that one specifically because I had to do post game after that one too. And that absolutely sucked. You want to no. talk about a bitch fest. That was, <laughs> I think we only went like 30 to 40 minutes that night too. That was a 30 to 40 minute bitch fest that night. Oh, I would have just taken phone calls. I wouldn't have had to say anything. I just would have been like, Dwayne, you're up. Steve, you're up. I would have let the callers just vent after that type of game with how that went down. See, the added problem there, BK, was that it was a 7 o'clock game, I think, because it was probably on LHN, because why wouldn't it be on LHN, especially before Kansas actually got a little bit better. And so not only were people pissed that they just lost to Kansas to such heavy favorites at home, or no, wait, was that game on the road? Two years ago? Yeah. Here. That, That adds to the embarrassment. Yeah, adds to the embarrassment. So uh, so not only that, but people were really lubed up too. So the alcohol made it to where I couldn't just lean on phone calls. I actually had to carry the mantle a little bit more than I wanted to. I was ready to just cancel the entire fucking postgame that night. Let me tell you, this job is a lot more fun when Texas wins, okay? Oh, yeah. Way more fun. And I, In my media career, I have not been a part of a super successful Texas football season, right? Dating back to my... Student radio days at KVRX. Shout out to them. So my time doing radio in Austin after graduating college. Like I just, uh, you know, the best year, the Sugar Bowl year in 2018, they won 10 games. Well, they didn't win a conference title and they, uh, you know, still had some embarrassing losses in that one. But I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch. Long way to go this season. But to be a part of this moment, pretty freaking cool. And yeah, this job is way more enjoyable for all of us when this team is actually relevant. And forget just us. College football is way more enjoyable for everybody hearing the sound of my voice right now when Texas is playing at a high level. So pretty damn special to see 
this team right now and cool that they get rewarded by the AP voters with the uh, fourth, number four ranking, fourth, the number four ranking in the AP top 25. You cool with that, by the way? You got Georgia, you got Michigan, you got Florida State, and you have Texas. The Longhorns jumping seven spots with the win on Saturday. Alabama dropping seven spots. They go from number three to number 10. Uh, they are the highest ranked team with the loss in the country. You uh, okay with Texas being where they are right now? Yeah, I think we talked about and even predicted this last week that if Texas won the game, regardless of whether they won it close or going away, like they ultimately did, that they would probably find themselves in the top five that very next day, people. I mean, the coaches poll, who knows? Where are they, six or seven in that poll? I don't even know. The coaches slash SID poll <laughs> for college football. The AP poll is the one that matters more just in terms of people who are voting that are also paying attention to what's happening regionally and then nationally too. So yeah, it's not surprising. And Texas needs to embrace it. We'll also understand that it's rat poison too. Hug that bottle of rat poison and also understand it's rat poison and that starting to believe a little bit too much in yourselves as a result of the outside noise is going to cause you to lose focus on the task at hand. Hug that bottle of rat poison. That's right. Were you just going to spill or something? Hug it just to just to show it some some positivity and okay. then back on the shelf and let everybody else drink out out of it. Mm. Yeah, Texas is ranked number six in the coaches poll. Good call there. And how about Texas? Not only are they ranked number four in the AP top twenty five, they also got two first place votes as well. It's the same as Michigan, who's ranked number two in college football. Uh, Michigan got two first place votes this week. Texas also got two first place votes this votes this week. And look, if if you're just looking at this year. Just this year, and I know that's not how the polls work, and I'm fine with the polls not working like this, but the teams that should be one and two are Texas and Florida State. Yeah, I don't know what order you want to put them in, but Florida State with a dominant victory over a top 10 LSU team on a neutral site, and then Texas with not as dominant, but hey, a double-digit victory on the road against a top three team. Like Those are the two most impressive wins in college football. If you're just looking at this year in a vacuum, uh, those are probably your two uh, top teams in the country right now. Completely agreed. The poll is obviously a lot of potential at this time of year, but also results too. And it's why Texas finds himself top four right now. I'd have no issues if they were one and Florida state were two based solely on the biggest quality wins to date. Like Duke has a decent win too, obviously, but that was a game at home against the Clemson team that may not be that good this year. Right. And there are some other upset wins, I guess, but nothing on par with beating Alabama by double digits in Tuscaloosa. No, I'm with you 100%. So hopefully that uh, ranking keeps going up for Texas, but massive, massive win on Saturday. We'll get back into Texas and Alabama in a moment, but we got to talk some NFL, talk about what the Cowboys did, talk about what the Texans did like what the Texans didn't do, and also go around the league. Some of the biggest storylines from the almost completed week one of the NFL season. But before we do that, some love to a few more sponsors. Shout out to our friends at Covert BK. Oh, big news. This Friday, our next pregame luncheon out at Covert BK. We had one of these last Friday before the Alabama game. Legendary lifetime Longhorn and national champion and former NFL player. Michael Griffin was our guest. He did a fantastic job. Posted some videos on our uh, social media accounts. If you missed those, definitely go check them out on our Twitter or on our Instagram page. Yes, at Texas Sports Unfiltered. 
We are now on Instagram as well. Uh, Griffin was awesome last week. If you missed that, hey, fear not. We're having another one this Friday. And our guest, another legendary lifetime Longhorn, another member of that 2005 National Championship team, another guy who played in the NFL for a few years, the great Casey Studdard will be joining us out at Covert Bee Cave this Friday. Free lunch will be provided by our friends at Smoky Moe's Barbecue and Verde's Mexican Perilla. We had so much fun last week. Shout out to all of you who came out and said, what's up? Uh, Griff signed autographs. He took pictures. We talked ball. He was giving lessons, Trey, on the whiteboard, like literally doing a chalk talk in front of uh, all the fans who showed up, uh, who showed up, which was pretty cool to see. Uh, Casey stuttered this Friday. Autographs, pictures, free food and plenty of Texas Longhorn football conversation. And, Trey, you know Casey about as well as I do. Uh, that guy, talk about unfiltered. That guy is unfiltered. He's going to tell it like it is. And uh, maybe don't bring the kiddos for for that one if you're worried about uh, some curse words because he'll get right. after it. That guy was unfiltered when he had FCC rules to abide <laughs> by. It. Arcane as those stupid fucking things are. I can't wait to hear what Casey has to say in – the uh, comfort of that conference room. We need to get him on this show or one of these shows at some point, just to take advantage of the fact that uh, Casey, uh, that Casey can now say whatever words that he wants to, whenever he's diagnosing Longhorn football, fishing, hunting, or whatever else. Dude, I was the first ever producer of the big ugly show Saturday mornings at the old place. It was Casey stuttered and Lyle Sinline, a couple of legendary lifetime Longhorns. Oh my God. Like you said, Casey stuttered, dude, it, there was an f bomb every five minutes. It's like, dude, you can't, you can't do this. And also, you really can't cuss like twice within an eight second span because radio doesn't allow me to eliminate both of those cuss words. Like, if you are gonna cuss, at least space it out a little bit to give me some time to do what I need to do to make sure our station doesn't get completely taken off the air. Now they can do that on their own in a couple of years. They don't need me to help them fall off the air. They'll take care of that themselves. Let me. Do my job the right way, please. Stop cussing. Not an issue anymore with uh, with us at Texas Sports Unfiltered. But, yeah, that was good times working with those two dudes. Casey's become a good friend. He's killing it with his barbecue company, the catering business that he now has. Uh, and, he, man, he, he talks Texas football as good as just about anybody out there. It's free food. It's Texas football. Come out and see us this Friday at Covert and BK. It starts at 1130. Does Casey still have his barbecue trailer off of like Brody and Davis? I don't think so. I think he's gone full catering. Gotcha. So weddings, tailgates, frat parties. The dude is is crushing it. I mean, his meat special. I've tasted his meat. It's very good. It's damn good meat. It's damn good meat. So shout out to Cover BK for their great partnership with us and uh, obviously for hosting those events. We'll have one. Every Friday before home games. So, obviously, we had one last Friday. It was Bama. That game was huge. We needed to do something. Uh, but another home game this weekend against Wyoming. Of course, we'll be out there at Covert Friday the day before. Shout out to them. Really looking forward to that. Trey, some NFL conversation. Boy, I, I, I haven't had a football weekend like that in a long time. With the Longhorns doing what they did on Saturday night and then the Cowboys doing what they did last night. What a performance on Sunday night football. Just pure and utter dominance by the Cowboys against the New York. They should be playing basketball giants last night. Uh, 40 to nothing, the final score. That's right, a 40-burger and a shutout pitched by the Cowboys in New Jersey against the G-Men. You talk about making a statement 
That is a statement made by the Cowboys. What a way to start the year for Mike McCarthy and company. Yeah, look, we all knew that the Cowboys defense was likely going to remain elite this year, and that certainly was the case. They get pressure on Daniel Jones on 23 of 36 dropbacks. I think the backup was in for a few of those, but that's nearly 64% of dropbacks that have serious pressure placed on them which is the second most in a game since 2019 BK. Mm. And it probably could have been a little bit worse too. I guess if there's anything that you're still left wondering about as a Cowboys fan is what is this offense going to look like? It obviously doesn't need to, or is likely not going to get in need to get into a ton of track meets, but can they get it done in a pressure situation where they don't have a special teams and defensive touchdown gifted to them early in the game? Yeah, I mean, Dak Prescott could have stayed at home last night with how good the Cowboys were on defense and on special teams, but I thought Dak played well, uh, didn't have ridiculous stats. If he was your fantasy football quarterback, then you're probably pissed. You're thinking if the Cowboys went 40 to nothing, it's because Dak threw like four touchdowns and threw for 300 yards. Uh, No, that was not the case, but he was fine, uh, pretty sharp with the football, no turnovers, which was obviously a huge problem for him in 2022. But yeah, you know, the offense didn't have to do that much. But when they were on the field, they made some things happen. But you're right, the big storyline that you know, the game started with the Giants getting the ball first, and they kind of marched down the field pretty quickly. Cowboys defense bowed up. They got the stop to force the field goal attempt. And then you get boom, Juanier Thomas, maybe the last guy to make the roster going into the season with the block and then Noah Igbenogany, who the Cowboys just traded for last week, gets the scoop and the score. And then from that moment on, the route was on. And like you said, the pick six uh, a couple of series later, it was just dominance from the Cowboys. You said that their defensive line did whatever it wanted against the Giants' offensive line, uh, forced a couple of turnovers. Daniel Jones, not all his fault, but maybe some buyer's remorse already for that huge contract that the Giants gave out to him in the offseason. And yeah, I mean, there, Trey, a lot of people were like, ah, maybe the Giants are better than the Cowboys this year. Now, the Giants, like the Cowboys, won a playoff game, made it to the second round. Ryan Dayball was the coach of the year in the NFL last year. They got the Saquon thing figured out. Like, the Giants were a trendy pick, and it's one game. They can still bounce back and maybe be a playoff team. But a lot of people were thinking, hey, maybe it's, you know, Eagles won Giants too, instead of the Eagles and Cowboys as the two top teams in the NFC East. Uh, Dallas... Gave the nice Tom Herman double bird to anybody who felt that way with what they did last night. No need for Wags to need to be on suicide watch. It is just one week. Does it look good? Would you like to look good your first game of the year? Yeah, but it is just one week, and that matters a lot at the college level. It matters even more at the NFL level. Now, if you see it two weeks in a row and you're a Giants fan, maybe there's some more cause for concern right there, but you can – Erase that one pretty quickly from the memory. The Giants knew that game was over at halftime. Did they? I think so. I was actually thankful that the game was kind of over at halftime because it allowed me to tune back in intermittently and take care of some other things last night during the game too. But no, that that game felt over midway through the second quarter, dude. Oh, to me it did. Doing a ton offensively. The Giants looked listless 
on both sides of the ball more often than not. Yeah, I don't know, man. That that opening series of the third quarter when the Giants had the ball, they're like going for it on fourth and three on, on their own 35-yard line. Like, if you're really conceding, waving the white flag, you're just like, to hell with it. We're punting the football away. They they were still trying to make that a game. Anybody with a brain, I think, knew the game was over. But And then Daniel Jones, like, my God, it's like Brian Dable as punishment just left him out there. It's like, dude, you just paid this guy $40 million a year. The game is over. Your team's getting their asses beat. Do you not care about your quarterback? Like, get him out of the game. Yeah, that was a poor move by Dable. That honestly surprised me a little bit, but maybe he's trying to get him some work because he didn't do a ton in the preseason, get those reps and get back up to speed. But I think that fourth and three from deep in their own end, or not deep in their own end, but in their own end, is proof that they realized just how lost that game was. They were already to that point of desperation so early in the third quarter. Yeah, I mean, the Cowboys, look, if there was any doubt that they were going to hold on and dominate the way that they did, the Cowboys got the ball first in the second half. They marched down the field, scored a touchdown to make it 33 to nothing. And if for some reason you thought uh, you were going to get a, sorry about this, Trey and Oilers fans, an Oilers-Bills style comeback, I think the Cowboys uh, eliminated that very, very early on with the way they started that third quarter. So Cowboys are good, man. Like Philly looked good. They got a nice road win. San Francisco, maybe the second most impressive performance of the first NFL Sunday of the season with the uh, the can of whoop. You know what? They opened up in Pittsburgh yesterday. Don't forget about the Cowboys, man. I don't know if they're quite on the Philadelphia-San Francisco level. Obviously, those were the two teams in the NFC Championship in 2022 but uh the cowboys are still really good that defense is awesome special teams look great and the offense did uh did its part last night too so just a, a complete performance by dallas and you couldn't have scripted a better start to the year for the cowboys a huge division win on the road yeah philly obviously got off to a great start in new england yesterday on tom brady day but it was a bit of an uneven performance after that for them and how about the Green Bay Packers also, BK? Speaking of teams that impressed in week one, we had no idea what to expect out of Jordan Love. And there's maybe a little bit of optimism in Chicago this year with Justin Fields entering that third year. Feels like he did a good job of revamping and improving the offense. Defense looked like it might be able to, they weren't going to be world beaters per se, but it looked like they might be able to hold their own, especially against an inexperienced quarterback. Jordan Love carved them up even without his top two receivers there. So perhaps Green Bay is once again the team to beat in the NFC North, although I do believe that the Lions and to a lesser degree the Vikings who lost to Tampa at Ooh. home yesterday will have some say-so there too. You think the Vikings are going to have some say in the NFC North this year after that? It is just one week, and look, I know we don't like to say positive things about Baker Mayfield, but Baker Mayfield, the last time he was truly healthy and a starting quarterback and the guy starting at quarterback for a team, he was a decent option for Cleveland. He went through some injury issues and it all went derailed when Baker showed too much of his personality and really lost the locker room, but he looks like he's dialed in right now. And so that'll be an interesting team to keep trap of going forward as well. You know, they have, turn the roster over a fair amount from that Super Bowl winning team from a few years ago, but they still have some studs on both sides of the ball, including Mike Evans, who had some big moments yesterday. Uh, obviously, oh gosh, the uh, the other wide receiver whose name is escaping me, who is... Godwin? Yeah, Godwin. Chris Godwin, too. Uh, Rashad White on the defensive side of the ball and some other dudes on defense as well. And Minnesota is just a bad performance by them. I thought 
that uh, they would show up. I actually had them in a Survivor League, so see a Survivor League. Mm. Uh, Jordan Addison looked good. He obviously has the touchdown catch there too, but they just weren't great on defense, which has been a problem for a couple years now. Yeah, and a couple of bad turnovers and dumb penalties too. Minnesota just looked out of sorts and – uh, you're you're kindly forgetting Baker Stinn in Carolina when he was a starter there and absolutely sucked and lost his job like a month and a half into the season. But he has had some good years in this league. I I don't think this will be one of them, but a good performance by him for sure. That was also a weird fit. That was the end of the Matt Rule era too, and there was the pressure on Sam Darnold being a former top pick that the franchise had actually selected. That was a weird situation for him. You're certainly right to bring that up, that it's it hasn't been all peachy for him as the guy at starting quarterback. But I also look at that as just a really awful situation. And it was the end of the Matt Rule era, too. As good as a college coach as he may be, he was a terrible, terrible fit for the NFL. Yes, he was. Other big storylines. By the way, back to your Packers take. I'm not impressed by anybody who beats the Bears. Sorry. Yeah. Like, like Jordan Love, he played well. Packers played well, Uh, and you're right. There was some buzz in Chicago going into this. The Bears still suck. They always have, and they always will. Trey, I can live till I'm 200 years old, and guess what? The Bears will still suck the entire time. That's just what they do. People are like, oh, BK, aren't you working? I've been saying that for a long time, and they have still sucked, and that will never change. So, beating Chicago... What is it, Shania Twain? That don't impress me much. Is that her song? Nope. Yeah, that, that don't impress me at all, Packers. But I know they love beating Chicago, and I'm sure Chicago was like, oh, finally, Rodgers is gone. We can actually beat the <laughs> – you guys suck. Don't forget it. The Texans. Ugh. They also suck. They put together a valiant first-half effort in Baltimore yesterday – but ultimately, the Ravens were the Ravens, and the Texans were the Texans. 25-9, to the final score there. Uh, C.J. Stroud had a couple of decent moments. Dude, he, he got no help. He got no help. The offensive line is down three starters because of injuries, and that was already a question mark for the Texans when they were healthy. But they've lost a bunch of dudes during training camp before the year, and that O-line was just a mismatch, and they played like a high school offensive line going up against an NFL defensive front. C.J. Stroud had no time to do anything. Damian Pierce, who was one of the more impressive rookies in football last year, couldn't run the football because he had nowhere to run. And, yeah, as the game wore on, Baltimore showed that, hey, they're really good, and the Texans showed that, hey, we're still pretty freaking bad. Score Gami, BK, 25-9. First time we've had a final score with those exact numbers in NFL history. And bummer for Baltimore, by the way, J.K. Dobbins, the Texas native, mm. LaGrange native, if I'm remembering correctly, looks like he blew out his Achilles. This guy is so talented at Ohio State, but unfortunately has had an impossible time staying healthy at the NFL level. So thoughts with J.K. Dobbins as he is going to be out for the year and hoping he can figure out a way to make it back for another NFL season. Yeah, that, uh, that was a bummer. There's always big injuries in week one, and that was probably the biggest injury that we saw across the NFL. J.K. Dobbins, really, really talented player. Uh, was off to a good start. Had a touchdown early on for Baltimore in that first half. But, uh, yeah, he is done for the year with that Achilles injury. You hit the nail on the head. Super talented player, great kid. Just unfortunately, the injury bug has uh, marred his professional career. 
what the hell happened to the Cincinnati Bengals yesterday, dude? I mean, the Cleveland Browns were not great. Deshaun Watson was terrible in the first half, but Cleveland wins this one going away 24 to 3. Yeah. I mean, the, the stat line for Joe Burrow 14 of 31 for 82 yards. Like 82 yards is an average quarter for that dude. That's what he had over 60 minutes yesterday. It's weird, Trey. Joe Burrow's awesome. He's not good against Cleveland. He is not good against, like, yesterday was his worst performance, I think, in a game against the Browns. That was one of the worst performances he's had in his football career. But I don't know what it is about Cleveland. I don't know if it's the players they have, if it's the scheme they run, if it's a mental thing. Joe Burrow looks like Baker Mayfield when he goes up against Cleveland. Like, he just, it's so bizarre to me how, like, against really good teams, he can turn it on and look like an MVP caliber player, but he really struggles against the Browns. My cousin, thanks to Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports for this tip, had the Browns because of it. I think the Bengals are winning the Super Bowl this year. They're my Super Bowl pick. I still bet on Cleveland yesterday because Joe Burrow can't beat the Browns. And if these two teams meet in the playoffs, which I, I don't know if Cleveland's going to get there, I don't think they will, then Cleveland's going to win because – there's something about that team and that defense that Joe Burrow just cannot figure out. We've waited way too long to talk about Bijan Robinson's first official NFL game. And of course, in game one, he is doing Bijan like things. Has that highlight reel touchdown where he makes a tiny move, makes one dude miss, and then shrugs off a couple of tackles on his way into the end zone. And even though I've seen a couple of Longhorn fans complain, that he is splitting the work in that backfield with uh, Tyler Algier. That's okay, Longhorn fans. You don't want him to go Derrick Henry from Arthur Smith's last two years, the Tennessee Titans, where he's running him into the ground halfway through the season. I like this pairing right now. Algier was good at running back for them as a rookie last season. Rookie drafted, or maybe he was an undrafted free agent rookie out of BYU. This is a good thunder and lightning combination, and there will be plenty of weeks where Bijan Robinson has more overall touches than Algier. But think about who Bijan was sharing the backfield with over these last few years. Roshan Johnson. This is something that he is not only kosher with, but it may help him to excel that much more as a running back. Who who am I co-hosting with today? Is this is this Tom Herman and BK? You don't want Bijan to play? Come I on, want man. Play, but I'm okay not s- spending so many bullets in a game that you have complete control over, like with that terrible Carolina Panthers team. The Falcons end up winning this one by a couple of scores. It was 10 to 10 in the fourth quarter, and they're giving the ball to Algier more than Bijan. The problem wasn't the rushing attack, though. The problem is. They are terrible throwing the football right now, unfortunately, with Desmond Ritter. I have Drake London. He scored a fat zero burger for me in fantasy in two different (laughs) leagues yesterday, BK. I am not going to play Drake London anymore going forward until Desmond Ritter can show that he is decent at throwing the football. Fortunately for Atlanta, they are really good at running back right now with both of those guys. Will Bijan be getting more carries going forward? Absolutely. Just like with Jameer Gibbs and the Detroit Lions. He showed you enough that gradually you're going to increase that workload, but you don't necessarily need to go, I don't know, 25 to 30 total touches in week one against the Panthers. Yeah, but he needs to have more than Tyler Algier. And if the Falcons start losing games, Falcons fans are going to be pissed if that workload uh, split continues the way that it is. That'll happen, but 
Mark yeah. my words. There will be a point in the year where Bijan has more carries and more touches than Algier yeah. every game going forward. If it's not week one, that's okay. That's not okay. It's not okay. I like Bijan. That uh, that receiving touchdown he had was pretty filthy, though. How about that for a first yeah. career TD? That on a highlight tape. Uh, just picking up where he left off at the University of Texas, man. It takes a lot to be a top 10 draft pick at running back in today's NFL. Uh, Bijan Robinson is a lot. He is a fun, fun player to watch and uh, happy that uh, he's such a great representative for the University of Texas. What about the, I mean, we're not giving out MVP awards after one week, Trey, and week one's not even over, but you're, you're one, two for NFL MVP right now. They might be on the same team, Tua and Tyreek Hill. Tyree Kill, all offseason long, was chirping, saying, I'm getting 2,000 yards. Well, he's one-tenth of the way there. 215 yards receiving. The Chargers could not stop him in that game yesterday, and Tua T was incredible. 466 yards and three passing touchdowns for him. That was the game of the day. Miami going into L.A. and uh, knocking off the L.A. Chargers 36-34. to Fun to watch those two young quarterbacks go back and forth. But, man, Miami, if if Tua could stay healthy, it's a huge if, obviously, but they've got something cooking. That offense is impossible to stop. Yes, it is, and that's the big question with Tua. It's not the physical talent. He has the physical talent, and he has a pretty insane group of receivers to throw the football to as well. It is, has he learned the necessary lessons from the Bucky Godbolt school of falling good to where he is applying those things and not getting hurt needlessly just because he takes a hard shot from an opposing defensive lineman, a linebacker. What was the name of that school? The Bucky Godbolt school for falling good. I like that. The center for kids who can't read good like Zoolander, the center for kids who can't fall good needs to be at least three times this size. You, you know, you know where I plucked that one from. Yeah. It's well done. It's well done. Hey, to a T. Glad Bucky didn't fall on Friday, by the way. That, uh, that could have been bad. But uh, to a T, big-time performance by him. Yeah, the Dolphins look good. And that's that's extra sweet for Tua, right? Because he was drafted right before Justin Herbert a couple of years ago. And for the first few years, it was like, oh, the Dolphins really messed up. They took the wrong quarterback. Uh, for Tua, I think a little bit of added incentive to go out there and out-duel Justin Herbert. It wasn't Justin Herbert's fault. They scored 34 points on the other side. That that should win you just about every single NFL game that you play in. But uh, two of the better of the two QBs yesterday. And that Miami team, maybe the biggest uh, takeaway from, from the first week of the NFL season, just how good they looked. Tyreek Hill, BK, is he turns 30 next year. So he's 29 this year. Or maybe technically he's 28, but he was born in 1994, and I'm not seeing a birthday. March 1st, 1994. So he's 29 right now. He looks like he's a half a step faster than at the fastest point in his NFL career, and it looks like he's running with more power, too. It is crazy to watch this guy operate. I can't even imagine how much fun it is to be that fast. Like that... Oh my God, dude. I, like I don't care if I played football. I don't care what I would do. If I was that fast, my life would be so much better than it is right now. Oh my God. You're right. Like he he's aging like fine wine. It feels like he's getting faster as he's getting older. You said March 1st, 1994. Yeah. Yeah. I was born March 2nd, 1994. I could have used some of that speed Tyreek. I don't know why I didn't get any of that. That would have been nice. You didn't have to take all of it 
for yourself at the hospital, jackass. I think that's how it works with babies being born. That checks what out. Do you have Tyreek Hill right now. If we're just running down the comp. Uh oh. <laughs> Me? Yeah. Me. Me versus Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what, what, what advantage do you have? Because inherently you oh. Tyreek Hill is a disadvantage. Um, <laughs> better at radio, broadcasting. Okay, I'll give you that one. Not choking out pregnant girlfriends. I haven't hit a woman. I haven't hit any marina workers. Okay. Better at that. I think I'm a better person than Tyreek Hill. I think I'm a horrible person, but I do think... I have the edge on Tyreek for quality of human being. So you think Tyreek Hill is a horrible human being? Because you just said, I'm a terrible human being, but I'm a better human than Tyreek Hill. Yeah. The track record is not great for him. It's better for me. Yeah, you may you may have a good point there. Yes, I do. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Hey, we're joined now by a very special guest. One of our favorites. This guy is one of the best college football insiders and writers that are out there. He works for CBS Sports. If you don't know his name, you better learn his name because this guy is a star in this business, and he's going to be a problem in this business for a long, long time. Our man Shehan Jayaraja from CBS Sports is joining us right now on Trey and BK on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Shehan, thanks so much for the time, man. How are you today? I'm doing great. I, I promise you're you're being too kind to me. Uh, I'm, but I'm happy to be here and uh, and thanks so much for having me. Of course, man. I've had the chance to interview a few times over the course of my radio career and a uh, big fan of your work through CBS Sports. So it's uh, an honor to get to talk to you today. And hey, we're here in Austin, man. I mean, we're we're excited. We're on cloud 10 after what took place on Saturday. We'll go around the country and talk about some of the other teams and other performances from week two. But we got to start with what went down in Tuscaloosa on Saturday. Uh, for you, Shehan, does that game tell you more about where Texas is? Or does that maybe tell you that Alabama's not what it once was? What uh, are your biggest takeaways from Texas 34, Bama 24? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, certainly this is not the kind of Alabama team that I think we've gotten used to seeing. But, you know, even a quote unquote down Alabama is a top five to eight team in the country is still the most talented team in the country is still one of the toughest locales to play in college football. And again, I mean, I, I'm sure I don't need to tell you the stats, obviously, first uh, non-conference loss since 2007, all of it. Right. So even if this is a relatively lackluster by their standards, Alabama team. It's still a very good team. It's still a difficult team to beat. And I do think that this game says a lot about where Texas is right now. One, that they're able to compete, uh, obviously, on that level. But I think what you have to be more impressed by than just obviously winning the game, which is huge, is I think their sort of mental fortitude in this game. They did have some bad breaks. They did miss, honestly, quite a few opportunities early in this game. And I think that in previous years, you've seen, you know, a team sort of collapse, a team sort of uh, shrink in the moment. Uh, because I think that the other part, too, is that there was a lot of expectations on this game from Texas and from Texas fans. There was a hope that they'd be able to compete. And I think they dealt with that really well. Uh, you you really like to see them obviously in the second half of that game, be aggressive, continue to make plays. And obviously I, I think Quinn Ewers, you know, you, you sort of see when things are working well, his calm demeanor really, I think works for him in a big way. So I, I think it says a lot about where Texas is right now that they can compete at this level with this kind of team. 
does that mean they're going to win a national championship this year? You know, obviously there's a lot of season left to happen, but I do think that this does say, look, expectations for Texas to be a legitimate college football playoff contender, to be a legitimate big 12 favorite, to be a top 10 team in the country. That's all real. What impressed you most about the Longhorn defense on Saturday? Well, I think it was their, again, to use that word again, resiliency, because the thing about Alabama's offense and about Jalen Milrow is that it's an unorthodox type of team to guard, right? It's one thing to cover sort of errant passes, but it's the second and third efforts where Jalen Milrow really made his hay in that opener against Middle Tennessee. Obviously, there was the the play against Middle Tennessee where he drops the snap. It's a bad snap. He picks it up, runs it for a touchdown, right? So it's not just being able to cover that first wave. It's the discipline to stay and keep the game in front of you whenever there is a second or third opportunity. I think when you look at great defenses, that's the key is that, you know, Patrick Mahomes, maybe you get to him with your, with your first wave. It's what happens after that. And I think that Tex did a really nice job. The other part that I really like too, is that it's been a few years since I, feel like Texas has been consistent in creating opportunities uh, at getting to the quarterback. And obviously, you know, they've had the talent that has not been the primary issue on the defensive line and in the front seven facing Texas, but they came from different angles. I thought that they physically held up very well against an Alabama offensive line. And, and also, by the way, I mean, they defended the run at a very high level. Some thought that maybe Alabama would be able to come into this game and kind of sit on them with their with their giant offensive line but Texas managed to kind of keep the game again in front of them and uh, and when they could make Alabama one dimensional I, I thought that they really were able to clean up Shahan going around the state of Texas what about Texas A&M you know last year they got the better of Miami in that game in College Station this felt like a big game for both of those programs it was close for a while but Miami some big plays on special teams and Tyler Van Dyke just kind of got whatever he wanted in the second half against that Aggie defense man A&M a lot of hype obviously going into this season but another letdown for them where are you at with uh, Texas A&M right now? And, and what should the expectations be for that team in College Station this year? Well, I mean, look, when you look at that team, they are number four in the 247 talent composite. They, they are one of the most talented teams in all of college football. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk about the offense because of obviously the issues they had last year. But to me, the defensive issues were way more glaring. Obviously, you know, with all these four and five stars on the defensive line, they were completely unable to corral Tyler Van Dyke. And obviously they, they had some turnover in the secondary, but a couple of their key guys are still there, right? Damani Richardson is a great player still in that secondary. And so for them to struggle the way that they did uh, corralling in the pass against a Miami offense that, you know, Xavier Restrepo is a good player at receiver, but they don't have a ton of weapons by any means. They don't have the sort of weapons that should be dicing up pretty good defenses I mean it's incredibly concerning to me and uh, and then obviously you do look on the offensive side of the ball 33 points but 14 of them were essentially gifted off of punt mistakes and so it's a wholesale issue I think right now in college station and obviously there was some optimism that with a couple of transfers with some uh you know returning production that maybe Texas A&M could take a step forward I mean they're going to be, I think, in a tough position just to get back to a bowl game after a 5-7 and seven season last year. And, and certainly, I think, even in, a, in an SEC West that looks pretty wide open with Alabama and, and LSU already having losses, it's hard for me to see them uh, putting things together to the point where they can uh, potentially compete at the top of that division. 
we seem to be in some sort of bizarro college football world this year where the Pac-12 has eight teams in the AP Top 25 and the <laughs> SEC is struggling mightily against Power 5 competition. This does feel like one of those rare years where the SEC is down more than up. After Georgia, who do you think the second best team is in this conference right now? Yeah, I wonder, you think uh, Texas can get that Pac-12 invite back or how does that work? But uh, <laughs> I, I think that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great question. I still think for me, the team that I picked second heading into the year and that I still think is number two is LSU. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they are a top five team necessarily. I don't think they're a playoff contender. And certainly when you look at the way that they lost to Florida State, they have to run the table at minimum, including a win over Georgia, I think, to get back into that playoff conversation. So the reality is we might just not have a second playoff contender from the SEC this upcoming season. Um, You know, Tennessee is a team that obviously last year had a great season, haven't been all that impressive through the first couple weeks of the season. Uh, You know, an ugly game against Austin P this past weekend. And they get Florida this week. It's an opportunity for them to maybe get right against a, a good SEC opponent. But I I think that there is a gap between sort of that top of college football right now and the second tier of the SEC. And honestly, I mean, it's probably something that I want to look more into to kind of see how this happened, because obviously Alabama has taken a slight step back uh, over the past couple of years. Part of that, I think, is Georgia rising up and taking some of the guys who maybe would have gone to Alabama in the past. But, you know, LSU, again, you thought that maybe they take a slight step forward doesn't seem to have happened as yet. Ole Miss looks pretty good, but again, that's more of a top 15 team than you're talking about a top five team. And, you know, the thing, again, that you do have to like about the SEC is that I do think that after Georgia, almost anybody is capable of getting into that top 25 conversation. You know, Kentucky had a bad game last week. I still like what they have with Liam Cohen and uh, and Will Levis, that quarterback. You know, South Carolina, bad first week against North Carolina, but you do sort of think that they, they have a chance to get things together if they can fix some issues on the offensive line. You know, Arkansas has, I think, you know, maybe the best quarterback in the entire conference right now in KJ Jefferson, but two new coordinators for them as well. So I don't really know in some ways what to expect from this conference. And uh, again, this is probably the most wide open that I can remember the SEC West being in the final year of, of the historic SEC West. Shehan Raja from CBS Sports is our guest here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Kind of following up on that, Shehan, is that is that NIL? Is that maybe, hey, we're overreacting too much to the first two weeks of a season, or is that maybe NIL allowing teams to legally pay players to come play for their schools? Maybe that's actually leveling the playing field a little bit. I think it definitely plays a role. I mean, you look at Texas A&M and the way that they've recruited over the past couple of years. You look at Tennessee, Miami. I, I do think that it does level things a little bit more. And I think the transfer portal is kind of tied alongside with that. You know, if you're not getting opportunities at Alabama or Georgia, I mean, look at Georgia. I mean, one of the best players on Texas offense on Saturday was A.D. Mitchell, a kid who was playing at Georgia just last year. And so I do think that it prevents some teams from being able to have the same sort of leash and leeway that they maybe had in the past. Now, look, I mean. Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, these teams aren't going anywhere either. Of course, they're still recruiting at an incredibly high level. But I do think that we look so much at the top 22 when it comes to college football. But when you're looking at uh, at 40 to 50 to 60, I think that's where you start to see some of that movement where all of a sudden Alabama is a younger team because maybe some of their veterans transfer out to start other places, stuff like that. I do think that that stuff matters. And, uh, you know, I, I think that another thing that you look at too is, 
there are situations like with Texas A&M's 2022 class, like with, uh, you know, Florida with DJ Lagway at quarterback, uh, you know, a really highly rated player. I, I think there are examples. Kelvin Banks is, is a great example at Texas where it's not just necessarily that, uh, that all of a sudden Alabama or LSU or Georgia can't get talent. But I do think that there are targeted instances where, look, maybe in the past in a four-team playoff world, you don't really have a whole lot of choice to play relevant football other than going to one of three or four schools. And in some ways, I think that was actually maybe the anomaly. You look back to 2000s, 90s, 80s, it never used to be quite to this level of consolidation. And I think in some ways, uh, this is college football evening itself back out. So we asked about the SEC side of that bizarro college football world coin. I guess I'll ask you about the Pac-12 side now. Is the Pac-12 really this good? Are we going to see a conference that is this competitive top to bottom two months into the season. I absolutely think so. You know, heading in, I thought that there were five teams that had a chance to potentially win the conference and maybe even if things go right, make the college football playoff. I think that list is only expanding, not contracting because, you know, you, you talk about the top of the group, uh, Washington, Oregon, USC, uh, I'm trying to remember Oregon state. I had in that group and Utah. Those were the five that I had coming into the year. UCLA has looked really good so far. I think Cal, obviously not as a team to compete for the conference, but as a bowl team potentially looks like a, a potentially interesting play. Washington State entered the top 25 after beating Wisconsin. And even you start to look down at an Arizona and Arizona State. I mean, it hasn't been as bad as I think some people were expecting for those two teams uh, under relatively new head coaches. So it's, I think, an interesting time in the Pac-12, one of the more competitive years I think that we've seen in recent memory. And again, you start talking about the level of depth right now in the conference. It's going to be a battle. I didn't even mention Colorado, by the way. I, it completely <laughs> slipped my mind. You know, obviously a team that jumped into the top 25. And so it, it's going to be a fun time, I think, every single week. The big question for them is going to be, can they put forward a champion? Can they have a team that's able to make it through at 12 and one to have a chance to make the college football playoff? That's going to be the hard part. But if they do, I mean, they will have traveled an incredibly difficult road to get there and it'll be very well-deserved. Shayhan, who's the more disappointing O and two right now? Is it Baylor or is it Texas tech? Oh, it's easily Baylor, easily, easily Baylor. I think that, you know, with Texas Tech, they go on the road, they lose a really tough game where they blow a lead against Wyoming, and they have a chance right at the end of the game to beat Texas Tech, uh, or to beat Oregon, rather. And so I think that for them, they don't feel good about it. It's the first time they're 0-2 since 1991. Uh, but I think that ultimately, you know, a lot of the things that we liked about this team have still come true. And I do think that ultimately, when you look at Texas Tech, they're still going to have a good season. Maybe it won't be the kind of 8-9 win season that people hoped, but I do think they're going to be very competitive in Big 12 play. I've still got that game on Black Friday between Texas and Texas Tech very much circled on my calendar. For Baylor, it's it's just been a mess, man. Like They are not doing very many things well, and they're losing games because they're just not very good right now, obviously. I think that they're not as bad as they were in that Texas State game. They fixed a lot of stuff, I think, on the offensive line. They trusted their cornerbacks a little bit more and, and didn't sort of ISO safeties on receivers the same way, and I think that they had success doing it. But, I mean, when you look at this Big 12 schedule, and, and Baylor, kind of like Texas, gets almost everybody in the Big 12 this upcoming season. They don't miss anybody. It becomes suddenly a very difficult path in a lot of ways. And, you know, so you start looking, and it's like, are they going to 
win three Big 12 games? Are they going to win two Big 12 games? And obviously, for a year four program under Dave Aranda, that's not expectations. Last year, I think even just going six and seven after some really close game losses was a disappointment. They're going to have to regroup. Now, the big thing that you say about both Baylor and Texas Tech is, all right, they're out of the playoff race. Probably weren't going to be in it uh, no matter what, right? So you do head into Big 12 with an opportunity to start with a fresh, uh, fresh slate, right? Everybody's zero and zero heading into Big 12. You know, and Baylor is a big opportunity, by the way, in week four to make at least some sort of statement. The Texas Longhorns are coming to town. And so by no means do I think that either of their seasons are over at this point, but Baylor is much more disappointing to me and much more concerning when I look at the long-term trajectory of the program. Shahan, sticking with the Big 12 now, I guess I'll ask a question similar to the SEC. Texas is the best team in this conference right now, just based on the first two weeks of the season. I don't want to make any assumptions, so do you have Kansas State as two? And if so, who do you think are three and four after the Wildcats? Yeah, I think that, that Kansas State, I like what I've seen so far. They played a very good Troy team this past week and made it look pretty easy, you know, which I think is all that you can kind of ask for when you're playing that kind of matchup. Uh, so I do think that they deserve to be number two. My big question with them remains, do they have an explosive element to their offense? I don't think that they do right now. And that's going to, I think, hurt them if they try to finish top two heading forward. But I do like what I've seen from them. I, I mean, not to make too much of it, but like Kansas has looked really, really good through the first two weeks of the season. They completely obliterated a, a pretty decent Illinois team. And I think that, you know, with Jalen Daniels in the lineup, they have added a lot. I, I love the way that they're using Jason being their backup quarterback and a couple of different looks to, to change the geometry of the field in some ways. They, they just look really good right now. Now, I mean, again, does that mean that they can finish number two in the conference? I don't know. But I, you know, I, I think that they definitely deserve to be in that conversation. Past that, I mean, Oklahoma's looked all right. I was not very impressed with their performance against SMU this past week, but you know, I think that you do have to have them at least in the top four, especially with the schedule that they have. I still think Texas Tech can probably get back into that top group if they kind of right the ship. Again, when you look at how the games have gone, I'm not incredibly concerned about the way that they lost those games. It's disappointing for sure, but I don't think that pro uh, projecting forward, it's going to be anything debil debilitating. So I do think that they'll have a chance, but Man, it, it is brutal right here, right now, I think, in the Big 12. I mean, Texas is a pretty heavy favorite. Cincinnati's one other team that I'd mentioned. They beat Pitt last week. They're a team that I projected finishing 13th in the conference, and right now they look as good as anybody, I think, right now outside of Texas and Kansas State. So long-winded answer. I think that Texas and Kansas State are the top two, but you know, there's a lot of teams kind of chomping at the bit to get into that number two spot. Shayon, last thing for me, a question about Notre Dame. They're 3-0. and They've looked pretty impressive this year. Um, is, is this the year for Notre Dame, year two of Marcus Freeman? They've got the quarterback. Does it feel like Notre Dame is a legit CFP contender this season? So any other year with any other schedule, I feel like they're almost a lock at this point based off of what we've seen from them. I mean, they look really, really good. I think Sam Hartman has completely changed that team, and defensively they've continued to look good. The question for them is they have to play Clemson, USC, and Ohio State this season. And so I think that the question is going to be, can they get one of USC or Ohio State? And that's uh, that's a difficult task. Week four, they host Ohio State. I think that if they could win that game, that's a program-changing win for Marcus Freeman. But look, if you have to go two and one against those three teams, and by the way, they get Duke on the schedule as well. They get another, yeah. another couple of pretty good teams. It's a tough path. I think maybe just slightly too tough 
for them to make the college football playoff. I wish in some ways that we were in the 12 team playoff era right now, because this is a team that when we get to the 12 team, if this team headed into the playoff, they could win two or three games. I mean, I think that they really could potentially pull some upsets, but I would have them right outside of that playoff conversation right now, just based on schedule. But if you're talking about the top five teams in the country right now, I think Notre Dame's on that list. Who are your top four right now then? Right now, I would go Georgia at one still. I, I don't think they've shown a ton, but you know, I think that they deserve to, right? They, they, they deserve that number one spot right now. Number two, number three, I have Florida State two, Texas three. I would not have any issue with anybody flipping that order. Ultimately, it doesn't matter all that much. I think, you know, Florida State, I think was, uh, I, I, anyway, this is a conversation that we can have all year long, obviously, kind of mixing those two teams. But I think that both are in right now. And if I had to pick right now, irrespective of schedule, I probably would put Notre Dame at number four over USC. But those two teams, I think, are going to be very close heading into the, the home stretch of the season. Very good. Shehan, you're the man. Great stuff as always. Y'all make sure to follow Shehan on Twitter. You see his Twitter handle on your screen right now. Check out the great work he does over at CBS Sports and CBSSports.com too. We appreciate your time, buddy. Talk soon. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, Thanks, there Sean. he goes. Shehan Jayaraja, once again, from CBS Sports. The guy's all over college football. Phenomenal writing over there on CBSSports.com. Interesting. All right, so he is Texas as one of his top two or three teams in the country. And Trey, you and I talked about it earlier. If you're just looking at what teams have accomplished in 2023, then yeah, Texas and Florida state should absolutely be in everybody's top four. Cause they've got the two most impressive wins of this young season. I wish Texas was ranked number 10 this week, DK. Just you wish that they only moved up one spot for the win over Alabama. Add to the chip. So now they're ranked probably where they should be. And so complacency becomes an issue. If they were still feeling slighted by AP voters, and maybe they can look at the coaches poll and say, hey, John Bianco, why are your SID mates not putting us in the top five? I guess that matters a little bit, but they're receiving a ton of love now. There are people that are talking about them as legitimate college football playoff contenders. And I think for good reason too, but... That sort of positive talk, while it's important to believe in yourself, it can also become toxic, a la the rat poison. You can't let that get into your head too much and start believing too much of it because then at that point you you may start put or stop rather putting in the necessary work and keep focused on that next game. But I believe right now that that's not going to be a problem for the Longhorns. Maybe if they go into Waco and win that game. By the way, that game is a 6.30 kickoff, I believe, here in a couple of weeks. So it's a night game in Waco, which may add to the difficulty of that raucous Baylor crowd. This will be the last time they get a chance to root against the Longhorns in that shithole of a stadium. It's actually a nice stadium, but I don't like going there. Uh, and then if they beat Kansas and Oklahoma after that, they're riding high. They're winning three games that people are asking relevant questions about. I think that's when you start worrying a little bit more about complacency, but they're taking it every game at a time. And they're also having short memory with uh, some of those battles that they won in a season long war. Yeah. They don't play at Floyd Casey anymore. That place was a shithole, but McLean in Waco, not too bad. I wouldn't call it a ruckus environment though, but it is a nice stadium right there on the water. It's it's a good environment in my opinion, but I, I get you not wanting to give Baylor fans any 
more credit than you have to. In a night game, they don't drink. A night game makes no difference for the fans out there. They're just drinking milk all day, getting ready for kickoff. Drinking milk and dry humping. That'll get somebody worked up into a tizzy, BK. A tizzy. Ugh, that's not getting me worked up, either of those two things. Not, ugh, I'm out on that deal. Hey, let's hear more from Steve Sarkeesian. Let me ask you this before we do. Sure. Did your UTSD kick in when Bama took that 16-13 lead late in the third quarter? Were you thinking like, oh my God, like we've been the better team, but they just took the lead and now we're done. We had our chance and we blew it and now we're screwed. Or were you kind of confident like, no, we're, you know, maybe this team is different. We're going to find a way. What was your mindset once uh, Bama took that late third quarter lead? I braced myself and knew that it was possible. But I also thought, and I believe I said this out loud to Justine and the kids who were also watching, that this is the pivotal moment of the game right now. We've just taken Alabama's best shot. They hit a big pass play to conceivably give that offense a little bit more confidence. So it's how do you respond? How does the offense respond? And what happens to the defense that next time out? Because the defense, I'll say they were looking tired, but they were looking like it was what, midway through the third quarter of a hard-fought football game. And so, no, the UTSD weirdly didn't kick in. It Mm. was focused on paying close attention to how this team responded. And I think they passed that test with flying colors on both sides of the ball. You have the quick score by the Texas offense, three plays, 75 yards or whatever the, uh, the total yardage distance was. And then the defense comes up with that turnover that we talked about an hour and a half ago or gosh, two hours ago now, that was literally the very next play for that Alabama offense. And by the way, the guy who got the interception was the dude who was burned on the touchdown, Jaron Thompson. So no, the UTSD thankfully did not kick in because if it had, I might've just turned the television off and assumed Texas lost the game. It did kick in for me. By the way, I heard uh, Baylor is looking to hire Mel Tucker uh, to replace Dave Aranda. Now in in Waco, expecting that headline at some point in the not too distant future. How about the shitstorm that the Sooners found themselves in with Art Bryles going down on the field to talk with his son-in-law Jeff Lebby after the game, and he was wearing Sooners gear. Awesome! I love how that's the big story up there now, and people want Lebby fired. And apparently, he apologized a ton at his press conference today, but he also doubled down over the weekend by changing his Facebook profile picture to a picture of him with Art Bryles wearing OU stuff. Yikes. And we mm. might have to dive into Mel Tucker and Art Bryles a, a little bit more. And those two guys both apparently are uh, pretty creepy and potentially awful human beings. No potential with Art Bryles. Mel, we'll see. What's the Mel Tucker story? I just know that he's suspended now and there's a good chance he's going to be fired. Uh, it's, uh, it's for having non-consensual phone sex and basically harassing uh, someone who gave a speech about Title IX and not harassing women on campus. Ooh, that's not good. Uh-oh. Uh, Either you or I froze there. Who was it? I think maybe both of us. Are you there? <laughs> Am I there? We're both we're both back, but I looked down at you for your response, and you were just that <laughs> <laughs> was the look on your face. I'm like, uh oh, he's oh, not holding, he's not holding the comedic timing that long. 
Uh, <laughs> Spectrum, more like rectum. Am I right? These guys suck. I am actively trying to figure out a better internet service because I am not very happy with what Spectrum is giving us recently. Now, now that was a random sidebar here. Um, I'll tell you that my UTSD very much kicked in. Yeah. When Bama took that lead, I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. Like, we're, we're better than these guys this year. We're, we're better. And we're going to lose this game because that's just what we do. And they're going to win this game because that's just what they do. It's exactly what my thought was. But thankfully, you said a Texas punch back so quick. I barely had time to think like that. Because less than a minute and a half later, the Longhorns had retaken the lead. And then, like you said, the next offensive play for Alabama was an interception. And then the next offensive play for Texas after the interception was a touchdown. It was like, it was so glorious to see. Like you did, you had a chance, and I'm sure for some folks, and we already are getting a couple of comments where people are like, yeah, I thought it was done. I thought we were screwed. But this Texas team responded so quickly that they really didn't give you much time to have that doubt. They quickly sent the message that, no, this year is different, and this team is different, and we're actually going to win this football game. That was incredible to watch. I will say that I was texting with a buddy just prior to Alabama scoring that go-ahead touchdown the one time they had a lead in the game, and he was asking how I felt. And I told him I feel pretty good right now, but I'm also a little bit uneasy because if Alabama – is going to have played this poorly up to this point. I'd like to think that if you're playing well enough that you could have built a bigger lead, but it was obviously a one-score game at that point in time, and it's not like it was a touchdown lead. It was three or four points or whatever it was. So I I was concerned there because you can't let Alabama off the hook when they're playing that poorly. But ultimately, thankfully, it ended up not mattering. Yeah, let's hear from Sark. I thought this was a pretty good back and forth. After the game, he was basically asked if he felt like the game was starting to slip away a little bit once Bama took the lead late in the third quarter. Here's coach. No, you know, our, our thing was we, we knew we were going to get faced with some adversity tonight. When you play a really good team on the road, not everything's going to go your way. And uh, I told the team before the game and I didn't waver off it. We were going to be aggressive tonight and we were going to stay aggressive. Um, you know, we went for it on fourth downs. We didn't make some, I mean, that, that, but that's, you have to, you have to try to win the game. And so I never, I didn't felt like it was slipping away. I just felt like it's our turn, and um, our guys responded really well. Yeah, they did, and it was Texas's turn, clearly. I mean, that that moment right there, the Buck and I talked about it this morning, and, hell, maybe you and I talked about it. I've been talking a lot today. Um, that That moment right there has been deflating for Texas in the past, and it's been deflating for just about every road team playing at Bryant-Denny Stadium, where, like, Alabama – they give you that adversity, and you just can't get up off the mat. And Alabama, I mean, they, they scored that touchdown to take a lead. That was also 13 unanswered points for Alabama. It was 13-3 to three at one point, and then Bama all of a sudden goes up 16-13, to 13, and it's just like, damn. And for a lot of previous Longhorn teams, and once again, for most teams that have gone into that place against that coach, that has been the dagger. And for Texas, it wasn't. So... Sark talked about it. We can't throw jabs. We need to throw haymakers. They threw haymakers after facing that adversity. And that was huge because adversity has been a problem for this program for a long, long time. They showed that uh, this team and this thing is a little bit different right now. And we all got to see it. We had hoped it, but we all got to see it with our own eyes on Saturday night that this uh, Texas has something cooking, clearly, that they haven't had in Austin in a long, long time. 
Curious to see the next time Texas faces that sort of adversity. Maybe it's in Waco, but it is probably going to be here in Austin because Kansas is special on offense, folks. Even for a defense as good as the Longhorns are, Kansas is still going to get theirs at times because Leipold is so good at scheming guys open and scheming his good quarterbacks, being included too, by the way, not just Daniels. He sets them up for success. So my guess is that Texas will get into maybe a little bit of a back-and-forth affair that second conference game here in Austin. Uh, There's going to be some adversity the rest of the way, but it's good to know that they've proven that they can handle that adversity. And, uh, yeah, so happy for Sark, man. The emotion you saw from him uh, towards the end of that game especially after that offsides penalty, which was basically the dagger, even though you kind of felt like Texas had the game won by that point. But obviously that allowed the Longhorns to go into victory formation. Just seeing Sark, the emotion he showed on the sidelines, you know that was a huge, huge moment for him. The biggest win of his head coaching career, not just at Texas, but anywhere that he's been a head coach. Felt like a giant monkey off the back for Steve Sarkeesian, I'm sure, and also for Quinn Ewers as well. And just for everybody, man, like there, there's a lot of doubt. I was a part of that doubt. I didn't think Texas was going to win this game. A lot of things have been said about Sark and Quinn Ewers, those two guys especially. Everybody, head coach and quarterback, they're always going to get more attention than anybody else in the program. A lot had been made of those two guys. A lot had been talked about whether or not they were the right guys for the job. It's one game, but, man, that was a huge statement for Texas on Saturday night. Impossible to not be happy for those two. Yes, it was. All right, BK, I am going to duck out to go grab the kids from school. Thanks to you. Great job today. And thanks to Zay for stepping in 30 minutes early. There he is. What's good? What's good? Ask and you shall receive. Good to see you. What's good? What's this up, good. dog? This is good. Come Yo, on, man. man. Come on, dog. What a game. Where your cigar at? Where your Cuban? Come on. I can't smoke a cigar in my apartment. They're going to kick That's my true. ass out. That's true, but they were smoking that Brian Downey in the guest locker room, so it don't matter at this point. And Trey, he got off way too quick because I was going to let him know the kids should be off of school today. It's basically a holiday. Why are the kids <laughs> going to school? What are we doing, dog? Come on. You're a true Texas Longhorn. You're an alum. Let the kids stay home from school and enjoy the fruits of their labor with this big-time Texas win that none of us expected. Well, hey, this is a great day to be a Texas fan at school. Because you get to wear your UT shirt and talk trash to all of the kids who root for other teams. You're right. <laughs> your You're parents right. went to AM. Loser. <laughs> How'd they do this weekend? Oh, lost to Miami. Yikes. Oh. oh, your parents went to Texas Tech. Oh, what did it take them eight years to graduate? Good job. <laughs> uh, oh, y'all lost too? Oh, no. Oh, Baylor? Oh, Baylor. Of course. Mm. No, you guys, you guys must have won. Y'all had a 13 to 6 lead late in the game. There's no way you would blow that. Oh, oh, oh you did. Yeah, oh man, right. that, that was that was me as a kid. That's the type of stuff that I'd be doing. So now, if you're a if you're a Texas kid in school, you're probably not watching right now. If you are, that's well, thank you. That's probably a problem. Yeah, I, I respect you. that. You're going yeah. somewhere. If you're watching us right now, if you got the phone like held down where the teach can't see it, or you got the AirPods, AirPods in where the teach can't see it or something, you got big ass ears. I don't know. But yeah, anyway, you're listening to us. Good for you. You're probably going somewhere in life. Yeah. And you're right, BK. This is the day for youngsters to gloat. If you're a Texas fan, gloat, man. Gloat. Dude, it, it hasn't been cool to be a Texas fan 
Texas football fan a lot over the last 15 years. I mean, we've won the director's cup the last couple of years, like the other programs have it figured out, but, and it's, it's been sad to root for this football team way more often than not since 2009. And this is look, it's, it's game two, right? We'll see what happens the rest of the season, but to hell with the rest of the season for right now, like that was such a cool moment. And there's just, there's a lot of longhorn pride right now and, and people should be happy and proud of what they saw from this team on Saturday. Cause they, they did something say that teams just don't do like, not only did they win that game in Alabama, but they won that game by double digits. Like Nick Saban has never lost a home game by double digits at Alabama, Alabama as a program had not lost a home game by double digits since 2004, the non-conference streak, obviously 57 straight regular season, non-conference wins for Alabama. Like that's what Texas did, man. I mean, Texas fans, I'm saying it, cloud 10 is what I've been on since that game went final on Saturday. I think everybody who reps the burn orange and white is feeling the exact same way. And I'm not ready to come down from this high, man, because it's it's been a ton of fun. Oh, man, talk about high. This is Snoop Dogg, Bob Marley. You know, this is this is a different type of high because you nailed it on the head, my brother. Like, it's been a long time since we felt like this. When you beat the GOAT at that stadium with those uniforms on the cross that you're playing against like you have every right to be proud that you have every right to be hype especially for what the rest of the season can be now I don't know if I could go out like our guy Ronald Ellen the third and say national championship that's talking I don't know about that that scares let's pump the brakes because you know Jalen Milrow there are a lot of things that Alabama did to hurt themselves which cost them the game, even though Texas outplayed them, which a part of it goes with, you know, penalties and lack thereof and whatnot. Alabama, that wasn't that buttoned up team that we've seen in recent years, talent wise or just mentally. And, you know, you got to play who's in front of you and the horns, they took advantage of that. And you talk about Steve Sarkeesian, man, that's so big for his confidence and just what, that represents. I heard you and Trey talk about it, how hype he was after the offsides call on fourth down, making them jump, which was completely telling. Herb Treat said it. It's completely telling for how Alabama's night went, but also it's telling for how the Horns' night went, like just yeah. calling all the right plays at the right times. Yes, there were still some mistakes, but to have those mistakes that they did and to overcome that, to have that brutal third quarter that we saw and then put up 21 points in the fourth quarter. Like that's crazy. That's crazy. And you and I talked about it in the pregame. They were going to have to force turnovers. They did. Quinn Ewers was going to have to be good. He was. And Sark was going to have to at least, I want to say out coach, but has to be on the same level as Saban. He can't just straight up get out coached. And he out coached the GOAT. Yeah, he out coached the guy point blank period by having this guy's ready all the calls and stuff that he made during the game for the offense, just taking advantage of mismatches. You know, we talked about in the pregame too. They have some freshmen that they're starting that they're very high of on both sides. Caleb Downs, the safety, and then Proctor, the left tackle. 
they took advantage of both those guys. Yeah. You saw the youth with both of those guys in that game, and I thought that was huge. Those boys, you know, they might be big dogs later, but right now they're some young puppies, and them lights were bright at Brian Downey on Saturday night, and you could tell there were some guys that, you know, were just over their heads, and for the horns, there were enough guys that were locked in, especially those young guys, and that's why you saw that 10-point victory, BK. Yeah, I'll tip my cap to you because you said that in our pregame show that, hey, there are a couple of freshmen. Yeah, they're five stars, but they're still freshmen, and this is far and away the biggest game that they've ever played in in their lives. Maybe Texas needs to go after them, and you're right. I mean, the Texas pass rush was awesome. You know, they got to the Alabama offensive line. Even the veteran guys had some trouble blocking Texas's defensive line on Saturday, but you're right. Caleb Downs with some of those big plays in the passing game that Texas had, and obviously that was – uh, music to Texas fans ears, you know, getting to hear and see those uh, deep shots finally work for Quinn Ewers in this Texas offense. And going back to what you said about Sark, man, like this, this for a while felt like a typical Sark game in a bad way. You know, Texas's offense was pretty good early on, right? They had a what 13 to three lead in this game in the first half. I know the first drive ended with a punt, but Texas moved the ball pretty well. Then they had a couple of field goals and a touchdown, and it's like, all right, yeah, like this this offense looks good, but it usually looks good because Sark is maybe the best scripter of plays to open games in all of college football. But then the second half happens, and the third quarter, like you brought up, it's like Texas just got stuck in the mud a little bit, and the offense wasn't playing great. And obviously, Bama takes the lead, and I'm like, God, we've seen this again, man. Like, Sark, great in the first half, but he always loses the battle of adjustments. And, you know, Nick Saban's the GOAT. And, ah, we should have expected this, right? We should have expected that Saban was going to outcoach Steve Sarkeesian, and that was going to be the difference in this game. Hell, you and I both picked Alabama, mainly because of Nick Saban, right? Just like yeah. that, that guy's the GOAT. Sark's still unproven. He hasn't done this. It's not going to happen tonight, and this sucks, and we're all about to be depressed for a long, long time. But then – just different. It was, it was different. I mean, yeah. Sark, the fourth quarter, he was the Midas man. I mean, everything he touched turned to gold. It was incredible. And golly, Zay, the, the thing that excited me the most when Texas hired Steve Sarkeesian a few years ago was what he did with that Alabama offense his last year in Tuscaloosa. They had a ton of talent, obviously, but he was able to scheme that talent open all of the time. You're watching these games. It's like, how the hell is Devontae Smith wide open? He's the best player on the field. <laughs> how the hell is Jalen Waddle wide open? Like, that guy's a first-round pick. But yeah. time and time again, Sark, just the mastermind he is on offense, was able to get those guys open in the second half in that fourth quarter. Same shit, dude. Jatavion Sanders, first-round pick next. How the hell is he wide open? You know, Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell. Like, these guys were getting open because of Steve Sarkeesian. Now, those guys are also really good. Uh, I'll give them their flowers, too, of course. This is the most talented receiver room Texas has had in a long time. But Sark, just the offensive mastery that he put on display when he was the O.C. at Alabama, we saw that against Nick Saban and that defense, and that was the turning point, man. He outcoached, you said it, he outcoached Nick Saban, and finally – for what feels like the first time, I know that's an exaggeration because he's won games before and he's he's won that chess match in games at time during his Texas career. But finally, on the road against a great team, he was able to win the in-game adjustment battle with the guy on the other sideline. That was so great to see, and hopefully we see more of that moving forward. Yeah, and there's nothing like when your coach trusts you. You can tell this coaching staff – 
and Steve Sarkeesian. They completely trust these guys. And he talked about that in the offseason. Hey, I'm in year three, these guys are finally getting it. They're finally getting it. They're finally starting to talk like me. They're starting to act like me. We got leaders in the locker room. They know what to expect. And that's huge. Like the calls that he made throughout the game were a lot of big-time trust calls. And you know who's not getting enough credit? Pete Kwiatkowski. Oh. And what he did, just mucking life up for Jalen Milrow, who's going to be really good. Like they asked Nick Saban, I was listening to his press conference right after the game. They asked him, did he think about benching Milrow? And he said, at a time, but then he dropped that dime to Jermaine Burton where Jaron Thompson got absolutely smoked. Mm. And that's when it became 15-13. And like you just said, that's when, okay, you get a little nervous. Burt Auburn smokes a kick, and then they go down and they hit that deep bomb to Jermaine Burton. It's like, here we go again. And Sark and their, that team, they just persevered. They weren't rattled. Quinn Ewers, he wasn't rattled the whole game. And this offensive line that we gave so much crap of this past week because of what they did against Rice, who is I just beat U of H. So that, those owls, man, like they, woo, they ain't woo. just hanging out at nighttime. Like those some daytime owls, those some 24-hour owls. They tougher than what we thought. So <laughs> that dub last week. You know, yeah, we saw the mistakes, but it don't look the same with that team beating another Big 12 team in U of H. But the offensive line, they did look suspect. Quinn Ewers got knocked down way too many times. Three sacks. You're like, oh, man, that is not good. Donut this game. Zero sacks. Zero sacks. They kept him clean. And he did a good job of maneuvering in the pocket. And, yo, if you can't get the guy down, that's what we've seen with Quinn Ewers throughout his young career. When he gets hit, a little shooken up, which probably 95% of the quarterbacks, when they get hit, they get a little shooken up and a little rattled. And we saw it on the other side with Jalen Milrow. So the fact that this offensive line, even though the run game still needs work, and I think it will get better and better as the weeks go on, as far as keeping Quinn clean, which we talked about it in the pregame at Covert B Cave, like – that's that was huge. That was huge for his confidence. It's even like he made all the right throws, even though he missed what 14 passes. There were a couple of throws where they were just drops. Jonathan Brooks, I get it. Kool-Aid McKinstry out there. You heard them feet. You heard those feet in the background. Like I get a little spooked too. I I knew that was a drop once he threw it his way. And I saw number one on the Crimson Tide going over there to muck it up because Jonathan Brooks. His hands are eyed. There's two straight weeks where it could have been touchdowns and he dropped it. We got to get that together. But he can't. He was big in that fourth quarter, obviously, especially on that third and seven where they got the first down to move the change with under five minutes to go. And, you know, it's it wasn't the perfect game, but they completely outplayed the Crimson Tide. And Pete Kukowski, he has to get his love. Anthony Hill, what a dog. Like you've got a freshman going to the end zone after a sack. And I can say this because Chip ain't here yet. That's my shit. This my shit. <laughs> yo, that got me so hyped, BK. That yeah. hurt me, yo. That dude, 
he flipped from AM to come to Texas to do this, mm-hmm. to do that. That's why his recruit was such a big deal. People are asking, why is it such a big deal? I don't know. Is he going to play? Dave Bender's there, Morris Blackwell. You know, is he going to play? And Pete Kukowski and his coaching staff, they found a place for him to be productive and not throwing too much on him. You know, those other freshmen, Proctor, Downs, they might have too much thrown on them. They might have too much responsibility. Anthony Hill, he's just out there playing loose. Yeah. He's just out there playing free. Like, yo, you're going to be the spy on Miro all game. Where he go, you go. Simple business. Simple business. Yeah. Like, where he goes, you go, dog. He and made it look simple. That, that, that ain't simple, but he and made it look simple. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Texas has something with Anthony Hill. And he didn't play much against Rice. Like when he was on the field in that uh, homo, he played pretty well. He just didn't play much. Hey, yeah. you like that? Home yeah. opener? <laughs> it was catchy, dog. Yeah. Thank it you. was witty. Yeah, that's yeah, what you he, do. I feel you. You got to make sure you explain that one. Otherwise, people like double take and they're like, well, yeah. Do you yeah. need to cancel BK? Not today. It's a football term, the homo. Okay. Not talking about Michael Sam. All right. We're talking about the home <laughs> opener. Okay. Oh, we we didn't see much Anthony Hill, but when he played, he flashed. And then it was almost like Texas. We know Texas was saving a lot for Alabama, right? Like it, it's clear now. I think it was clear watching last week, but you know, Texas overlooked rice like in preparation for this game. They were saving some stuff. Clearly maybe Anthony Hill was one of the things, one of the guys that they were saving because he obviously played a lot more in week two. And yeah, his presence was felt. So you're right, man. Like that fact that we got that guy for three years. It was not an overhyped recruitment. You said it. I mean, getting that flip from AM towards the end of the recruiting cycle and getting that dude to put pen to paper and come to the University of Texas. I mean, we talked about that. Now, I'll give Ethan Burke some credit, too. Like, yeah. What a performance by him. That was maybe my biggest concern. I think it was my biggest concern for Texas going into the season is where's the pass rush going to come from, right? Like you figured Baron Sorrell coming off a five-and-a-half game season. Okay, he's pretty good. It'll be him, but – you know, what What else do you have there? Like, we hadn't seen it from Ethan Burke. Obviously, Anthony Hill's a true freshman. Colton Vosick, like, not a lot of proven commodities in that uh, edge, outside linebacker, DN room, whatever you want to call it. And those guys against a really good offensive line and a quarterback who's fast as hell, they found a way to get pressure on him all night long. Yeah, definitely. And the run game, it was hurting Texas at the beginning of the game. I was, you know, Chase McCullen, he was getting those tough yards. Jalen Milrow, he was running that thing. And then the Jade Barron pick on their first drive, like that, that changed everything. That I think that made Pete Kwiatkowski and his defense say, hey, you know what? Let's focus on this run a little bit more than we thought. Like this dude could easily give the ball up because we got dogs out here in the secondary. Jalen Catalan, I thought he was solid. You know, just he didn't do anything big, but I thought he was solid coming in, making plays and, you know, trying to make plays in the backfield while other guys came back and like helped them with, you know, gang tackles and stuff. But man, this secondary, yeah, they had a couple of mistakes, but they were on point all game. And Pete Krakowski, you know, he was dialed in. Like we love giving Sark the credit, which we, you know, I get it. He's the head coach you talked about too, head coach quarterback. They get that love. But Pete Krakowski, I don't think we've said his name enough. No. Like just throughout in Texas fandom and Texas media, I haven't heard Pete Kwiatkowski's name enough. Like you said it, who, where was it going to come from? The edge rushing. Like we had no idea. Justice Finkley, you know, he was out there 
Ethan Burke, dog. He that people said that was his legacy game coming up. It might have been. He had two huge plays when Jalen Miro was about to take off running. He just closed up the hole and had that takedown. And then he had a huge sap, sack grabbing that ankle of Jalen Miro, not letting him go anywhere. And <laughs> that just this team, they have a lot of swagger, man. As far as the cigar thing. I'm going to talk about it with you because we got 10 minutes. I, I feel both ways. The old head in me, the coach's son in me is saying, ah, chill out. I'm the, Put the cigars up. Like, this ain't a championship game. It's not. But the swagger in me, which Sark kind of talked about it after the game, like, yo, their confidence. I've been trying to get this confidence out of them for the last two years, and now that they have it, I'm not going to tell them to turn down. Like I, I want them to be at this level. Now this week is going to be, you know, huge because shoes, I doubt if a lot of them go to class today or they might go to class and get standing ovations and stuff. Mm. It's going to be hard to come down from that, but yeah, keeping that swagger up, keeping that confidence at a high, like that's confidence to me. Everybody taking pictures with their cigars, playing you were sitting cross-legged with the Cuban, like that's swagger to me, something that we haven't seen. And you could have swagger kind of like what we're seeing with Colorado and Dion. like you look good, you play good. And this is a new era of sports and college football. So yeah, again, it's not a, it's not a, just a normal game. But it's yeah. not a championship game. When I think of cigars in the past, I think of Red Arback, the owner of the Celtics slash legendary coach, or MJ, when he used to put the cigar in the mouth after he won championships and stuff with the Bulls. Like, I think of that, and they would probably be looking at this like, yo, Texas, what you doing? But this was a big game. They need that swagger. They need that confidence. And I think that's what it is. So if Texas fans are a little, you know, weary, look at it as a positive instead of dwelling on something like this. Hey, I don't give a damn that they celebrated the way that they celebrated, but those pictures being out there raises the bar even more for this team. I mean, obviously you go into Tuscaloosa and win and boom, the bar is raised to the nth degree. And this team is now the fourth ranked team in the country. So the expectations, they're always pretty high for Texas football. They were higher going into this season than they've been in a while. And now they're astronomical, but now it's like, all right, if you choke and lose a couple of games, what's everyone going to be pointing at? What pictures are all of you going to see on social media after those losses? That one. People are going to be making so much fun of Texas for celebrating that week two win like it was a championship. So yeah. now they, by doing that, it's like, hey, all right, guys, like, come on. You cannot, you cannot let up off the gas right now. Otherwise, like, people would be clowning you anyways. But now people are really going to be clowning you, making it seem like that was the only thing that you cared about this year. And let, let's be honest, man. Like, Texas prepared for Alabama for six months. That, that was the game. They obviously wanted to win the Big 12. I, I loved what Sark said after the game. I loved the tweet Jalen Ford had last night. I loved what Quinn Ewer said after the game. They're saying all of the right things for the most part, but let's call a spade a spade. All offseason long was about beating Alabama. Okay, you did that. Awesome. Uh, you're not going to have six to eight months to prepare for the rest of your teams on the schedule. So everything that you put in that went into that performance on Saturday night, you got to have that same work ethic. You got to have that same mindset, that same mentality, that same hunger that Texas clearly had in that game on Saturday. That's going to have to show up every week because if it doesn't, you don't have any Rices on your schedule, man. Like every, Rice was the easiest game you have this year. I know the Big 12 ain't great, but if you let your foot off the gas 
if your mind isn't right, you're going to lose a couple of games this year. And I won't say that Alabama game is for not because that's still an awesome win and always will be an awesome win. But if you don't actually turn that into something special, then this is going to feel like a wasted opportunity that uh, that this Texas team has right now. Yeah, that rat poison ain't no normal raid spray, bro. Like, it's serious. <laughs> now you're number four. People talking about number three being in the Heisman candidacy. I heard Jade Barrett. I didn't hear it. I mean, I saw it on Twitter. He's talking about the Thorpe Award right now and stuff. And it's like, yo, y'all, I feel you. I feel you. But there's a lot of season to be played. And the Big 12 right around the corner, you heard what Brett Yormark said which I know he's hurting right now, but you're going to get everybody's best game, not only because you're Texas, but also this might be the last time they ever play you again. So, yeah, Sark this week, this coaching staff, getting those guys to come down off that Robert Downey Jr. high and just be sane and collected and realize, yo, it's week to week because it's not going to look that good all the time. We hope. We hope that it does. You referenced yeah. that Alabama squad with Ruggs and Judy and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle to where they were just blowing folks out and everybody was open. You hope you get that. And I think that you can get that. But even that 05 team, you remember when they were down to Oklahoma State by two touchdowns and VY had to fake people out on the run for 60 yard gains and stuff like. You don't want to get in those battles. Like that game versus AM was tough. A big reason yeah. why Vince Young didn't win the Heisman because he struggled in that game. So you're going to have dogfights. And this was a dogfight. And, you know, we've been talking about the new rules, BK, and how the clock ticks. It worked to the Horns' advantage in the fourth quarter with 714 to go in the game. Yeah, like that clock getting those first downs, it ticking and stuff. That's why you saw Saban call those timeouts so early. Like he called them things early because he knew, hey, this is a new game. Like, and the horns, they iced it. And we yeah. haven't seen that in a long time. Now, my guy Chip Brown is going to come on, you know, very soon and give us the update on CJ Baxter, which I know you saw that he was out a little gimpy after the game, which I don't like that, but Jonathan Brooks, other than those drops, he showed me a little something. He did. He He, he showed me something, had some very tough, hard nose runs, that touchdown that he had after the Jaron Thompson interception. Like that wasn't no slouch. Like he fought for that TD and man, this is momentum that you want. Like, you got to use this as fuel. You got to use this as like, oh, we're number four now. That means if we don't lose, we're in the college football playoff. Don't give anybody any doubt. Because like you said, the Big 12, kind of weak now. Kind of soft. You got 0-2 Baylor, 0-2 Texas Tech. Like, you know, a lot of teams aren't what we thought they would be. So you can't be playing with your food. You can't be out here BSing. That's just not that's not an option. You got to step on everybody's necks. And to flip what John A. Barron said about winning the Thorpe Award, that everybody should have that motivation. Like, oh, now we're number four, so we're going to get the attention to where we can maybe get some awards out of this thing. 
and everybody could boost up their draft stock because, yeah, we want to win. You want to play for the name in front of the chest, not the name on the back. But when you come to Texas, a big reason is to get to the next level. Absolutely. Like, yeah, what starts here changes the world. You know that you're an alum. That's why you started Texas Sports Unfiltered and done a phenomenal job. They did a good job with you getting your degree, even though you didn't show up to class very much. What a finesse, man. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but, like, you don't come as a football player. Yeah, you come here for school, but you come here to wear the burn orange yep. and get to the next level like some of the greats have. We've had Griff's crazy ass on the show. Great career. The Aaron Rosses, the Cedric Bensons, Colt, like VY. You can just keep naming guys that have used great teams to help their career and help get drafted. So, yeah, we know there's a bigger picture here for this 2023 Texas Longhorn team and beating Bama, just the beginning. Hope you're right. I hope you're right. Hey, Chip and Zay coming up from three to five. That's going to be our move Mondays during football season. Normally you catch Zay with Chip uh, from one to three, and that'll be the case from Tuesdays to Fridays during football season. But uh, Chip down on campus interviewing Sark, interviewing the players every Monday. So uh, we're going to flip-flop the lineup around, and uh, you'll get Chip and Zay every Monday from three to five. So two more hours of great Texas football conversation coming your way on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Some shout-outs to a few more sponsors. Hey, if you're trying to be at DKR this Saturday, sendtexttickets.com. They've got tickets to Texas, Wyoming. They've got tickets to every Longhorn game all season long. They're right there on site, sendtexttickets.com. Shout-out to them. Shout-out to 7-Eleven. Fuel up for game day. Hell, you don't have to wait for game day. Just get all of your snacks, your drinks, the Slurpees, the Big Gulps, whatever you need, the lottery tickets if you're into that. They've got them all right there at 7-Eleven. There's definitely a 7-Eleven near you. We appreciate our guy Ashish for jumping on board with 7-Eleven. Got my last stand hats on. The all gas, no brakes. Of course, I'm rocking this today. You want this lid? They've got you. LastStandHats.com. And, of course, a shout-out to Olipop as well. This stuff is revolutionary. A great-tasting soda. It's actually good for you. It's amazing what they figured out at Olipop. I'm addicted to this stuff. I'd basically sworn off soda for years because of just how bad it was for me. Now uh, I'm back in thanks to Olipop. Great company, great people who work there. Most importantly, a great-tasting soda that is actually good for you. So shout-out to all of our great sponsors here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. We appreciate them jumping on board, and this has obviously been a fun day. And Zay, man, you've worked in sports media long enough to know how much more fun this job is after wins, especially after big wins like this. This is going to be a fun day and a, a fun week, I think, for all of us here at TSU. Yeah, this is a big part of why I went into this business. And growing up in this city, you know, just rooting for the Longhorns and following the Longhorns. It's been tough the last decade and some change, but yeah, this is what we do this for in this city, college football, you know, it's better when the burnt orange is on top and doing big things. Like we know what the brand, the university of Texas brings and yeah, it's, it's a big deal. What we saw on Saturday night, it's a very big deal, but you know, the, I guess objectiveness in me says that this Alabama team also, if as good as Texas played, this Bama team had 10 penalties. Two of them were touchdowns that were called back. 
you know, Horns had 10 points off turnovers, five sacks. Again, Pekowski deserves his credit, but how much of the youth and inexperience that we talked about with this Bama team is we know they have the five stars, four stars, all the blue chippers, but this just wasn't the same Alabama team that we've seen. And the last four quarterbacks they had all started yesterday in the National Football League. And this guy, Milrow, even though he could be a future NFL player, it was a big difference seeing the two of Mac Jones, Jalen Hurts, you know, it was a big difference going yeah. from that Bryce Young that we saw last year to Jalen Milrow. And I hope that later on in the Big 12 as the season goes on, again, this Texas team stays even kill, but I hope that we don't see that Alabama team going downhill to where yep. this win is a little more tainted than what we're feeling right now, you know, because we just said that about Rice for a positive way, but it could easily happen if we see Alabama losing to like an AM or a Kentucky. Oh, or, nobody, you know what I'm saying? Come on. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, you know, if they come back and win the rest of their games, which, you know, Nick Saban team, they're probably real pissed off. Attack like, practice is hell today. In Tuscaloosa, oh. practice is hell. They probably practiced yesterday. There probably was no off day. You know how I usually give you off on Sundays and everybody, you know, come in, we'll watch film, we'll everybody get in the tub, get your body right, ice bath, etc. Off script. Off script for how undisciplined they were at times. And Saban's going to get in their ass and then some. So, yeah, I could definitely see that Alabama team just – finding motivation out of this loss and going crazy. But if they don't, if they struggle and look like that and have those mistakes, like Jalen Milrow, he on the hot seat now. He is. If you have the head coach saying that he was thinking about benching them during the game, which I would have loved that because Ty Simpson and Tyler Buckner, the way that defense was playing, they ain't want no part of that. <laughs> they, they ain't want no part of that. If those guys were going to get the pressure – on Tyler, uh, Ty Simpson and Tyler Buckner, the way they were getting in on Jalen Milrow, who has legs, is a fleet of foot, then, yo, Texas, they would have been eating greedy, Golden Corral type stuff. But I, it's going to be interesting to see this Alabama team for the rest of the year and if they could come back from this loss. Yeah, I don't want Nick Saban in my ass at all. <laughs> I'm out on that. Hey, look who it is. Our man, Chip Brown of Texas Sports Unfiltered and Horns 24-7 fame. What's going on, brother? You good? What's going on, fellas? I'm doing good. I'm uh, I'm still here at the stadium. I'm still here at DKR because uh, the players were were just wrapping up. So let's uh, let's get into it. Yeah. BK, appreciate 